All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Occasionalists. Matt Piggle here once again with Adam Chemaluski as we wrap up our Beyond Borders month with Signals of the World, and we are going to talk about some TV. Uh, we've already talked about music and movies. Those were really great discussions, so I'm really excited to hop into this wrap-up discussion on TV. Chema, how you doing, my man? Doing pretty good, dude. I gotta say, as soon as we wrapped up our conversation last week, I watched Train to Bastan and was pretty fucking impressed by that. Uh, I gotta say, it was it was way different than I had thought. I knew Korean mm-hmm. zombies, the train and everything, but um, I didn't expect the zombies to be done the way that they were, just like crazy hyper fast and stuff. And I will say, by the time the end of the movie rolled around, they really like were they were really pulling in my emotions, man. Like some of those deaths at the end, and even the ending scene with them walking to the, uh, you know, up into the guard and everything, mm-hmm. like the the army and stuff. I gotta say, really got it just emotionally, really like just really did a good job with me there. I mean, I was almost I was just like, wow, like holy shit, I am feeling this here in a zombie movie, which usually never happens. No, it, it, it's a it's a very it, it's a very solid thriller movie that happens to be about zombies. Right, like yeah. you know what I mean. Like it just that is what is happening. That's driving the action. But it, it is it is a, like you would not. It is not like a. It's not a good zombie movie. It's a good movie that has zombies in it. Right, and I got to tell you, like the way that they built up the zombie stuff, starting off with the the deer in the beginning, and then as everybody's on the train and the train is kind of taking off. Like you could see in the background, just like zombies taking people from the train station. I thought that was awesome. And then even there's a point in time, I think somewhere in the middle, maybe like towards the, the, middle of the second half of the movie somewhere in there they stop at a train station that's like empty and then once the craziness ensues with the zombies at that train station i was like holy fucking shit like it was just action-packed like you following all these characters and somehow it still works really well i i was just i was very surprised in a great way they've they've um <clears throat> you know a tv show that i'm sure i'll mention here at some point in time um they've they've had they have managed to take the zombie genre and give it like it probably what it's it really like realistically it's last like breaths for a while, yeah. but they they have managed to make it interesting again at least mm-hmm. enough for you to sort of sit down and go oh okay well I I like this spin on it yeah I think I know what you're talking about and there's a chance we might get into this later too for sure okay excellent all right so like we said we are wrapping up our our Beyond Borders month with a little talk about some TV here. Um, and realistically, I, I, I do think this is, a, this is as we kind of unintentionally talked about through the, the previous two episodes, um, television really is probably the main vehicle by which we are getting our foreign entertainment. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, some of the bigger, you know, some of the bigger movies that we talked about, like Parasite, um, and some of the movies that were, you know, in Chema's starter pack, like Run, Lola, Run, and um, Maurice Peros were sort of like staple foreign movies for people who about our age who were foreign film fans like those are staples but realistically speaking television is now how most people are getting their foreign entertainment um and you know obviously we're gonna we're gonna dig pretty far into this but i think that's why i think it's kind of important to wrap up with this um just you know make sure we get some word in on this because there i have some statistics here i'll get to them in a little bit but it is very likely you know someone who has spent time watching something like squid game Watching mm-hmm. something like, um, you know, even just even just a, a you know a typical you know your typical British, um, you know your your British uh, masterpiece theater type TV show, someone right. you know has watched one of those. Of course. 
So let's let's start it off here before we get into. I'll I'll, I'll get I'll drop the numbers here at some point in time. But um, let's you know can you can you recall Chema, um, the first foreign TV show that you watched with any regularity? And this doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be foreign language, but obviously something from outside the United States. Yeah. So <laughs> glad you asked me this because it's like this is something that I still think about even to this day is the first show that I started watching with any regularity was Mr. Bean. And when I was, when I was younger and this would have either been in sixth grade when I was like going to Euclid, or this would have been in seventh grade as I moved back from Euclid going to um, the, the middle school, Nordonia middle school. Um, dude, people, wherever this was in Euclid or in Nordonia middle school, Loved Mr. Bean, and I had never heard of it at all. Like, this was like a popular topic of conversation. So I found myself watching this show, trying to understand exactly what everybody else thought was so funny about it. And I got to tell you, like, some things were funny, some things weren't. It kind of went over my head in terms of how great everybody thought it was. But I couldn't tell you how many Mr. Bean episodes I watched, including going to see the movie, to try to understand why everybody around me seemed to think this thing was the greatest thing ever. Because it is Chema. Because <laughs> Rowan Atkinson is fucking hysterical, and Mr. Bean was also the first. It, it, I, I kind of have a tie here. So Mr. Bean was for sure the first one that I was like really super engaged with. But I, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember which um, <clears throat> I can't remember which episode we talked about it in. But the other one that that sort of popped uh, on the scene for me at the, about the same time was uh, Speed Racer um, was also like the uh, one of the first ones. Obviously, completely mm-hmm. dubbed over in English. Um, so like it, I didn't realize <clears throat> excuse me didn't realize I was watching a Japanese show. But those kind of coincided at the same time, and I I definitely thought of Mr. Bean and I. I will still think of Mr. Bean as like really being the truly foreign show, seeing mm-hmm. as how you know all of the voice actors were replaced in Speed Racer, um, which <laughs> does make it a totally different show. But that's not really the point there. Um, but yeah, it, it was Mr. Bean uh, for me. Do you know what on what on earth would we have been watching that on back then? So this would have been on one of the public access channels. I I want to say it wasn't Channel Nine because Channel Nine was like the Nerdonia with the football games and basketball right. games and stuff. But it might have been like the national version of PBS that was just happened to be showing them late at night. I've been wondering that myself, and I'm pretty positive that it was some sort of public access channel that just happened to show this show. Because we didn't Mm -hmm. have the the BBC wasn't a part of our cable packages back then. So that's the that's got to be where it came from. Probably. I I really couldn't remember either. All I remember is when um, I remember what. The next sort of the next sort of British thing that I kind of caught on to for at least a little bit came when Comedy Central rolled around on our cable packages and they started simulcasting, uh, uh, not simulcasting, they reruns and then they were getting like later, you know, more recent seasons a couple years behind of Absolutely Fabulous. Oh, was yes. Like the yes. next one. And that was like a that was like kind of a big deal that the show was on in the United States. Yeah, I remember certain people from high school like really being fans of Ab Fab as they called it back then and stuff like that. And I just remember in my German class, this was kind of like a like almost like a regular like topic of conversation. Maybe people were speaking in the accents and stuff, but absolutely fabulous. One hundred percent would have been like the next thing in line after Mr. Bean. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, that was that was like right there. 
and then and then we get into I think I think by the time we're like um, middle school, late middle school, going into high school, that's when like a lot of the Canadian stuff kicks in with like kids in the kids in the hall and that kind of stuff. Oh yeah, definitely. So, do you remember the first time that you gave a non-English language show a legitimate watch? And like, was there any particular reason why you you went with this? Man, if it's going to be more recent, I, if, I'm just trying to put my finger on this exactly, and I, it would have to be the Narco shows, like, because I, I, that's, and I know that there's English in like the the first season and stuff, but as it progresses, it becomes more and more speaking in Spanish, and that has to be it. I, but I know that that's not. I don't even think that that's from like um, another, like technically from another country, because like Netflix being here, so that has to be the first like majority non-speaking non-english speaking show that that i've tuned into and strictly just because it was a pablo escobar thing but i I don't remember really getting hooked on any foreign language shows in my like in the aughts and the the, you know the the 2010s and stuff like that it's just that part is totally escaping me so it'd have to be narcos yeah i think um i think for this is the one that i was i was kind of curious um I, I had a feeling I would beat you in terms of time on this, but also this is one of those things that for sure m- most people in the United States probably, I should say most, most English speaking people in the United States probably um, within the, it's, it's probably, I don't know, 70%. It's mostly within the last like 10 years that they mm-hmm. finally began seeing a foreign language show on the regular. You know, not yeah. not in, in bits and pieces or oh, I heard about this or whatever, like actually watching on the regular. It has to be at, at the last like 10 to 15 years. Um, I do have you beat. Um, I started watching. It's a Mexican telenovela um, that was centered around like the teens and families at this private high school um, in Mexico City called was, the show was called Rebelde. And that was um, that was like 2002, 2003, 2004, somewhere in that range when I was in college. And. It was one of those shows we would just flip it on at the fraternity house or wherever we were, just like in between classes and like sort of mindlessly watch episodes. Um, and you could kind of, you know, like most like most soap operas, you kind of just keep up with what's going on. Like, you know what's going on. Like someone's someone's cheating on someone else. Um, someone's pissed at someone for whatever indiscretion they did. Um, like, that's not hard to keep up with. Um but legitimately, we were watching for a collection of, at the time, the hottest women we've ever seen in our entire life. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> un- unbelievably attractive women. Um, I, I still remember. I, I was sitting here as I was writing, as I was filling this out. I'm like, I think I remember all their names, and I'm gonna just type them out without looking them up. And I was correct for like the the main the main cast. There is this uh, uh, singer singers. They're all by the way. They're all singer slash actresses. Every single one of them. Um, Anahi was like one of your main characters. Dolce Maria was one of your main characters. I don't remember their character names. Angelique Boyer, who's actually French, moved to Mexico. Um, that's why she doesn't actually look Mexican at all. And Ninel Conde were like the, were like the, Ninel Conde was like one of the chick's moms and she was a smoke <laughs> show. But it was like literally everywhere you'd look and just not, not just the women, the men were the most handsome, attractive men on the planet. Like, of course. <laughs> it was, it was hysterical to watch. Like it was just her- it was hysterical to watch like these, um, like to watch like a conversation between like Anahi and Dolce Maria, you know, like you know having boy problems. I'm like, how could either of you have boy problems? Like, right, ever, <laughs> ever. I know. 
yeah. but <laughs> those people are like so hot they could just about take the garbage out and find like the love of their life mm-hmm. and somehow somehow they have man problems like yeah. problems i'd like to have yeah yeah but it was it was it was a, i don't know it was silly um like most telenovelas are from mexico um you know way over the top like if something was happening like the uh, the action you know the action the, the acting was very big um there was definitely not a lot of subtlety in, in their performances so it, it was definitely good fodder for just like sitting around in between classes right yeah definitely <laughs> i remember when i remember when the uh, the telemundo and all that stuff started to kick in on cable and yeah people were just hot like hot hot Yep, that's we're actually going to get to that here in a second. I have I have a I have something on that. Um, so real quickly here, um, in the U- in the UK and the US, seventy percent seventy six percent of Gen Z and millennials watch foreign language TV shows or films, and fifty six percent of Gen X and baby boomers watch foreign films and TV shows. So it, it definitely more. It's obviously geared more towards us and younger people, simply because it is now much more ever present than it was. Like I said, good luck trying to find like a, unless you probably lived in the U S Southwest or Texas, Southern California back in like the nineties, I have no idea where you're going to find Spanish language television. Yeah. No fucking clue. whatsoever. Florida too. too, that, but like, I don't know where you're going to find like a a dedicated at that point in time. Like if you're in the Midwest or something, no idea where you're going to find that. Yeah, no, that's a good point, dude. And like when I went to see my grandmother as a kid in Florida, like in the the mid nineties, like they had Spanish programming down there, but we had, it was non-existent once I got off the plane in Cleveland. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So I just wanted to pop that out there. There's, I have a couple more things here. I'm sure I can pop out that were, that are pretty interesting, but I thought that was good to start off with there. But um, so this next question kind of leads leads into where I was hinting there before, but are there any noticeable notable differences between um, you know between an American TV show and a foreign TV show? I mean, obviously the language is the biggest right. one, but let's go ahead and chalk that one up. But is there anything else that you notice that kind of differentiates the 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 two the two shows, the two okay, versions so, or the two language shows? So one thing I noticed, and it, it's definitely not the case with Servant of the People, which we're going to be talking about here, mm-hmm. but I, for starters, I noticed that a lot of foreign language shows, at least that I was exposed to, did not have as many episodes per season as American television shows. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I remember like a Sherlock and stuff like that, only having like six episodes. It seemed like a lot of like British TV, like six to like 12 episodes was kind of like a standard and stuff, yeah. even for like the longest time. Then this one, next one I'm going to say is a little bit it's kind of like a layered answer i guess because when i started what or any kind of like exposure that i've had to foreign programming with the exception of recently and i mean even recently in the last like four or five years everything looked like it was on a much smaller budget than like american shows now i don't know if that is the case or not i'm almost safe to assume it is just because we spend a colossal amount of money on the programming that we have here in america but there's just something about it now it could be like maybe the camera work for example gives it this kind of low budget appearance because i I want to say that a lot of these are they're either they're they're either directed just perfectly or like under directed by American standards. And like I'm saying, there's not as many cuts. It seems like you're with characters for a while. Um, the overall like way an episode 
the, like the mechanics of an episode, like, the, you know, all the technical stuff seems to be turned farther down in some of the foreign language programming that, that I've, that I've watched prior to the, the more recent years. And like, there is just something even about the way that it sounds like when, when people eat and drink on like foreign TV shows, I mean, you seem to hear like all of it. And I don't think you would be getting that necessarily in like an American show. Mm. The, the other thing too would be involving like the, the storytelling. There is something inherently different about storytelling between these, between foreign language shows and American content. I'm going to get into some more details when we get into servant of the people with like some specifics and stuff, but it just seems that like things that we would normally wrap up in like one episode or maybe even half of an episode seem to go for a little longer in, um, in foreign shows. And I'll, I'll give you like some specifics when we get to servant of the people and stuff. But, um, that's, that's kind of like where I'm at here. It's just like, it seems like there's something with the production to me. I immediately think that it's a less of a budget, but it could just be like the overall style of the show itself. Uh, yeah, yeah, those are some things I hit on as well, but um, there's there's definitely some things I hit on as well, and I think it is actually budget. That's budget. That's actually like the biggest part of it because you're not you're not going there. There isn't you know like if if you're um, I don't know if you're if you're you know you, you're you have a TV station in I don't know um, Bosnia, you mm-hmm. probably don't have twenty six million dollars to spend on three episodes of TV. Correct. Um, so it, it that is that is the reality. Even some of the even the, some of the more sharper produced TV shows, re- realistically, outside of when you when you talk international, outside of England, um, Scandinavia, um, Japan, and Korea, once like most countries do not Canada, obviously, um, and Mexico has some higher higher production values as well. But like Australia, can't forget them. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just about everyone basically. But um, once you get outside of those countries, like they don't, their countries have, you know, their like GDP is mm-hmm. equivalent to like a like a James Cameron film, right? So they <laughs> yeah. just don't have, they really do not have the money to support like a really robust, um, a really robust um, entertainment industry. Um, so I, so I think it is, it starts with budget, but because a lot of these countries, especially like these European countries, have been doing things the same way for. 50, 60 years, there's the, the the sort of production stuff and the shooting styles that you like you really notice are just holdovers from the fact that, sure, they have better cameras now, they have better editing now, um, but they're still going to do things the same way that they do them, that they've always done. Mm-hmm. Them. Um, right. We still do sitcoms the exact same way that we've been doing sitcoms since the 1940s. Right. It hasn't, I mean, there are less of them that, you know, that look like that. There's multi-cam sitcoms. There are definitely less of them, but we still do them. Um, and, and in countries like the Ukraine, Russia, um, uh, you know, I don't know, Iceland or whatever, they, they are going to keep doing things the same way simply because it's, it's, it doesn't cost a ton of money and, you know, the machine isn't broke, so we don't have to fix it. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, you make a good point on this here. Like, there are certain things that if they just work, you just kind of don't fuck with them, you know, and especially like the, the American sitcom, this format, this like structure, 
has been pretty much the exact same way for the longest goddamn time since Lucy all the way up into mm-hmm. like whatever is on CBS right now. Cause I'm assuming there's at least four of those on there. So like, it's, um, it's something that it's just kind of rooted in like tradition and stuff. And it's weird because when there's only like so much like tampering, you could actually like do with this formula. And once you kind of go a little bit too far or maybe take the formula entirely out of whack, like the show, it either gets filed into one of those categories. It's just like it's ahead of its time, which Mm -hmm. nobody gets it. Or it's um, or it's a show that's just like outright like canceled because the audience can't like jive with it. Right. Right. Exactly. And and I think there's I think there is maybe not it might not be the intention right away, but it's also significantly more more portable if the format is familiar right like you can i mean you know you can you can shop your russian um sitcom if it looks even if you have to dub it even if it gets you know whatever else um subtitled you can still port it to the united states in england because it is a familiar looking thing right exactly and like do not underestimate comfort in any way shape or form like people just like they love it you know what i'm saying like Mm -hmm. if there's anything we've learned about marvel you could literally throw the exact same movie up there with different characters and it's going to be the most successful movie of the mcu until the next one comes out right right exactly exactly very good that's an excellent excellent comparison there um I'll, i'll hit on what i was talking about before real quickly here before we move on to the next one um there are super attractive people and more, they, there's obviously like, obviously actors are in generally, in general, very attractive people. But when you get to, especially in Latin America, it's really where it pops up, but you can pick out any foreign show. There are super attractive people in even some of the smallest nothing parts or oh, yeah. even in, or in really serious roles where it, you know, I, I know this is like a, this sounds strange, but a lot of times you don't want like your serious dramatic actor to be too attractive because it, it distracts from like what their problem is. And exactly. Oh yeah. You like, I'm telling like, you know exactly what I'm saying. When, if I, if you and I were casting some, you know, I think we've talked about this before. If you and I were casting some like, you know, hardcore, like dramatic world war two movie, I wouldn't cast like some super handsome model type person as my main character. It would be right. someone that looks much more like a regular. It would be a Tom Hanks who looks much more like a regular person. Oh yeah, exactly. Like the fact that audiences were able to identify and relate to and latch on to Don Draper is just amazing to me. You know what I'm saying? Cause like mm-hmm. Mad Men, like, yeah, like the, that is a drama and like John Hamm's character goes through like the, the extremes that, that one could possibly go through in a drama situation that takes place in an advertising agency in Madison Avenue, New York in the sixties and seventies. And like, it's just surprising. Like, I mean, you're really like feeling for this guy and stuff. And like the entire time, like the hotness is somehow like not distracting. It's a, it's like one of the weirdest examples ever, because like, if, um, if that, like, I, I almost feel that like if somebody else were cast in that character, they number one, there's probably a good chance they wouldn't be as attractive as John Hamm, but I just don't know if it would work. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, there, that must be like one of the rarest examples ever, but you're not, you're really like not casting these super ultra hot people. I mean, like Leo might be the most on paper attractive actor to win the best actor award in the last, like, God, like, like five, 10 years or something. He's probably yeah. the hottest one. Like, yeah, I mean, Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix is a good looking dude, but he's not Leo hot. 
he's he's in he's I mean obviously he had um, you know cleft palate and cleft palate surgery, but like even if he didn't have that, he's still kind of he's still kind of um, distinct looking is what I, what I'll call him. Right. Like he he doesn't look anything like his brother. <laughs> like no, <laughs> he like River Phoenix is was a very classically handsome. Um, like boyishly good-looking person, and mm-hmm. you know, Joaquin. Even like with even like if you look like beyond, um, you know, the, the cleft palate stuff, it, it just doesn't look like him at all. Um, actually, right. Yeah. But um, but no, it, it's it, it's and it's again one of those things. Like if I'm casting a small part for like I don't know, um, you know, like a I don't know, like the you know, just a, a teacher in a school that's you know only in a couple scenes, maybe one scene per episode. It would be very distracting if that teacher was like a five foot ten, um, you know, it's five foot ten, long blonde hair, like the most gorgeous woman you've ever seen. She would mm-hmm. come into every scene and blow it up, right? Just oh, blow yes. it up. You wouldn't even be able to like really latch onto the character. You're just just distracted by how hot they are. Yep, yep. But in in foreign films or foreign films, foreign TV shows, they have zero problem with this. Every, every, probably because everyone is really hot, so it doesn't really matter at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I will tell you, like when Jess and I were in Amsterdam, like you every time you think you've seen like the hottest person, man or woman that you've ever seen in your life, just turn around. There will be somebody hotter. And it was like this for four fucking days. <laughs> oh, well, we will book my ticket now, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you think there's a show out there that sort of paved the way for American audiences to um, to more readily accept foreign TV shows? Okay, so this one was another one that I had to like do some thinking on because if we're talking in recent times, Squid Game is going to open up a door for foreign programming for the next God knows how long and stuff. Like people have really latched onto it with Squid Game. But if I was trying to pinpoint like something farther back in time, it's like we've had British shows cross over and have, have a lot of success. Like I said mm-hmm. earlier, Sherlock has had a lot of success, uh, but the blinders Peaky blinders has had, got, it's had enough success where like white dudes over here are saying Peaky Fookin blinders. Like it's, you know, like it's a Tuesday afternoon. Oh, well, they're not but anymore. It, thankfully. Thank, yeah, the show we, we've gotten over that. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> so the only thing that like, if I was to pit, like, Hey, this is a catalyst thing. It's when Telemundo became avail- available on cable, like just as like a regular channel. I and once people see like the hotness and stuff and kind of just get sucked into people being so hot and this was you know 10 20 years ago now I think that this was like the initial seed that was planted that eventually grew to our acceptance of a, of more f- foreign programming I I mm, I'll disagree with that and I'll disagree with that because we don't watch a lot of Spanish TV here in the United States despite having a very large Spanish speaking audience um, in the United States, it's it it hasn't grown like you would think, basically. But I, I don't I understand what you're saying, but I just don't think it's Telemundo, Telemundo, Univision, Telemas were came to the United States to serve the Spanish speaking audience already here. It wasn't the game plan wasn't how do we get more Spanish language content? I mean, obviously, they want to get as much Spanish language content in front of as many people as possible, but that was never really, it's never, it still never hasn't happened. Like mm-hmm. there has, we've never had a show on Telemundo, like do numbers that even like a, like pick, pick it like a fucking TNT show that was moderately successful. We've never mm-hmm. had a single Telemundo show, Univision show get to that level, even for like, like a half a season. 
Um, so I, I don't think that quite hits it. What I think hits it is actually what I think hits it is actually the English language shows that had very large pop culture impacts. And I'm talking Doctor Who and Game of Thrones. That Doctor Who comes over with a long pop culture history. 60 years mm-hmm. worth of pop culture history. Um, and it sort of, even though, even though, you know, if you're a fucking complete nerd, you already knew about Doctor Who at this point in time. You know, I, not not saying like, not thinking about like the, you know, the 60s through the 80s kind of editions of it. But the more recent reboot that saw was Christopher Eccleston, I think, was the original Doctor in the in the most in the most recent iteration of this, and then obviously like followed up with like Matt Smith and David Tennant and um, Jodie Whittaker, and it, it it sort of opened up new doorways to people that you have never heard of before, and mm-hmm. it sort of kind of got people interested in a, in a spate of actors. Again, there's a reason why Matt Smith is popular here in the United States. There's a reason why David Tennant is popular here in the United States. There's a reason why um, Jodie Whittaker, despite the fact that she's really only done British TV, people know who she is in the United States. It's because of this like fucking pop culture juggernaut um, that you know that has you know that has really sort of gone worldwide, and it has in, has reignited the interest of people to sort of, or I should say, ignited the interest of people in the United States to look at what some of these actors are doing else, uh, elsewhere. And then Game of Thrones comes in several years later. And again, helps. It's all in English, but you have a whole bunch of besides English English actors and Irish actors. You have a whole bunch of actors from all over the world that participated in this show, and a lot of them became super duper famous. And people latched onto them, you know, be it um, you know, be it uh, Pedro Pascal, be it um, Thor Bjornsson, be it take your pick. There are people from other right. countries that were on this show that people followed post Thrones, or you know, really became fans of because of Thrones, and then followed their careers otherwise. Oh, right. Exactly. Like any time that I see Game of Thrones actors, while I might not go right away and watch the show, there's definitely some interest there because I have such a relationship with Game of Thrones. Like it's it's like that with with Lost, with like even like some of my more favorite shows throughout mm-hmm. the, the course of my life and stuff. Like definitely, I completely understand that. I mean, Nikolai Castorwaldo had TV shows in the United States before. Did you watch any of them? Oh, John from Cincinnati or whatever or something? No, he had um, what? New Amsterdam, I think was his New show. Amsterdam, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that's uh, right. Where he yeah. like, played an immortal or something. Um, and then he had another show that was, it was a pilot or whatever. But, um, you know, pilot. It was, a, it was a miniseries that was a pilot, but it didn't get picked up by Fox or whatever. So, I mean, like, Nikolai Castrovaldo was already in the United States doing stuff. But then, he, then Thrones came along and he became Nikolai Castrovaldo. So right. it, that and that happened with a lot of these actors, be they Australian, Amer- or, uh, English, Australian, Spanish, Colombian, whatever. It just like uh, German. It just like hit for them and and elevated them. And you know you see those people everywhere. So I but I think it it took English language shows, you know, so we could sit there. So all those fucking slack jawed yokels in the United States could sit there and at least understand what they're talking about before right. we went and sought. You know, we sought out more of what they were doing. Oh, right, dude. Like, even Euron Greyjoy is in, like, a Danish show and stuff. I mean, these people are, like, working and getting a lot of work post-Game of Thrones. Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, I I, I don't think you're wrong. I just think I, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to pinpoint exactly. I just think that we sort of needed the doors opened very gently for us. Because, you know, if you, 
if you lived in anywhere in Europe, you probably, you know, you probably had exposure for years to foreign mm-hmm. foreign language programming, and you just didn't in the United States. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah, we, you know, this wasn't something. America's not really into the idea of non-American things, you know. So it is going to be a slow burn. It's going to usually take something like. Game of Thrones, like a cool English speaking show for for people to like, you know, broaden their horizons and everything like that into actors that are not yeah. from this country. Look how long it took Canadian shows to catch on. Yeah, that's and they true. speak and English last time I checked. Yeah, yeah they're right above us. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So uh, let's let's move on here to the next segment here. Streams open doors. Um, so what would you say are the two most critical elements that have led to more foreign content on our streaming services? Okay, so the first thing is going to be this kind of like reoccurring theme that we've had with um, this particular month, and that's algorithms are once again just driving mm-hmm. a lot of things that make make their way into our Netflix feed. The other one is just a personal opinion one, and this would be something that would steer me in the direction of foreign content on these streaming services. And that is a lot of these things don't like they just don't offer all that good of stuff, even like on in- English speaking shows. Mm-hmm. So like. If you're watching Netflix or Amazon and stuff and you're scrolling through the movies, like you're probably really looking at only one to two movies every month that they add that you're like, okay, like, yeah, I really, really want to watch this. And eventually you're just going to dry up stuff that interests you in English and you're just going to eventually move on to like foreign programming mm-hmm. like, yeah, a, there's not like you know you look at netflix and all these streaming services you see that this vast catalog of titles there's not a really a lot of them that get me going and stuff like i remember searching through the entire hbo sci-fi category and stuff and i was like okay like i've either seen a lot of this stuff or it's things that like if i get around to it it's cool but it's not like i'm actually m- motivated enough to be like okay here i'm, I'm watching like the relic three or whatever they have on there. So I <laughs> like, I want to uh, drop. Yeah. I, they, it was, they were, were doing the relic on the video archives, Tarantino podcast and stuff. Cause they're showing it at the new Beverly this month. So the, I was listening to it this week. The movie's fresh on my mind. So um, yeah, th- that's, that's what I'm going for here is that like it's algorithms and just basically there's, you just, they, they don't offer all that much and what they do offer, you're going to get sick of. And eventually you're just going to want to broaden your horizons naturally. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you there. There's, you know, once you, especially, especially when you look at um, like the library that like Netflix has with like TV shows or Prime has a TV show, some of the older stuff, like once you've seen one of these procedurals, you've seen them all. And like as much as I, and there's some shows that like as much as I enjoy Lost, I don't really necessarily, it's not a show that I'm just going to like, well, I'm just going to pop on an episode from season three real quick. Um, see what's going right. on. Like it, it's like I need more of a, a personal investment to do that. So like there, there are a lot of times where I'm just skipping through, and I'm like, well, fuck it, I'll check this show out. It's from Korea, or it's from Australia, or it's from South Africa, or whatever. Um, and I, I just I flip it on, and sometimes it's sometimes it's worth my while. Sometimes I'm just within 15 minutes, I'm like, you know what? Let's move on to the next thing. This is clearly not for me. So I think you're you're dead on there. You're 100 percent right there that. It's just like you, you get to a point where you're just sort of like personally craving anything, anything kind of, even if it's slightly different, you're just craving it. 
Oh yeah, dude. And like when um, I, I don't know if, if you have your Netflix set up this way, I heard there's a way to turn this off, but like I still have Netflix set up where whenever you land on something, you get like some, some version of a trailer in the top right hand corner with like, it would be in the background and stuff. Yeah. And there are just some of these foreign things just look badass, And you're like, all right, it's like, shit, I will check this out. It's going to be way, it's going to be a way more entertaining than a simple man, which has been on Netflix for since Netflix was a streaming service. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, you know, you just see stuff and you're like, okay, like this looks cool. This looks different. I mean, how, you're right. How many procedural shows can one person possibly watch? And believe me, I know that there are people out there that love the NCISs and the CSIs and everything, but that's, that's not me, you, you know, mm-hmm. like even these like murder, small town murder shows and stuff. I mean, every, first of all, every single one of these shows that comes out is the next best thing to ever hit television. But once I've seen one of them, I'm, I'm kind of cool, like with the genre for for a while, for like at least like six months or so. Like the the, um, the Kate Winslet show, which it came out like the uh, Mayor of Easttown. Yeah, the Mayor of Easttown. Yeah. Like that to me looks like pretty much every other one of these shows that ever came out except Kate Winslet Bates. And unfortunately, that's not enough to get me to watch the show. Like I'm cool. I watch Kate Winslet Bape anytime. <laughs> And and but they do a funny Pennsylvania specific accent. Oh, that's that didn't right. get you drawn in. Oh my God! Like such detail there. No, that unfortunately didn't get it. Didn't get me in there. I feel the weird Pennsylvania accent should be something that they should at the way least have on point. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but but you're right. Like I, I'll tell you what I have. I have sort of adopted um, when, especially when I'm digging through like sci-fi and horror stuff on Netflix or HBO Max or whatever. Um, I, I've kind of adopted the same sort of theory that I do when I buy beer. I'm so, like, what if the package looks cool? I'll go ahead and give it a try. Like, as, oh yeah, as long as it's like, as long as it's not like overwhelming. Like some of some of the cans and, and packaging, like it's like it's like someone fucking dropped acid and just like yeah. threw up on the on the on the box and like we're well, here you go. Um, yeah. Like so, as long as it's not like overwhelming looking, if the trailer kind of has some cool shit, I'm like. I'll at least check it out. Um, mm-hmm. Why the fuck not? Especially when it comes to this foreign language stuff, because it could, you know, sometimes the, especially the English descriptions for some of these foreign language movies and TV shows do not do what's actually happening in the show justice. <laughs> no, I could see that. I'm struggling to think of a specific example because there's, there's some English language American television that even like, that's the point is to like write these descriptions that make no sense whatsoever. But I, I could, I can definitely understand what you're saying on that for sure. The, well, th- that's part of the reason um, why I watched. I ended up watching Kingdom. The trailer for it looked really cool. It had like you like all these um, century specific time time period specific costuming that looked awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but like the description was kind of lacking. And if I were, if I were to it, maybe it's changed by now. I mean, I don't know. I'd have to look it up right now. But if I were just if I were to describe it, it would be much more detailed. It would have much more to do about you know, the, the politics and the ignorance and how the, you know, the, the way that, um, the, the selfishness of particular government leaders causes this, uh, this, this pandemic to sort of spread faster than it would have otherwise. Um, you know, like my description would have been very different from the description that I read basically, but it had cool packaging. So I ended up watching it and then I was like, Oh, this show fucking kicks ass. So yeah, the, even the Wikipedia 
description of that show, I think could be a little bit better <laughs> than even what they had there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's what that whole description thing. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's not just on the, the show, the, the streaming service description. It's pretty, it's in a lot of, you know, various um, places where you would go get information. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, well, we don't have to get into that. I was going to say, I think, I think a lot of that is now um, some of the, you know, some of the studios and things wanting to hide, you know, twists and stuff. Since, right. Oh yeah. Since information is much more available to everyone, but it, it does sort of like some of the descriptions for some of these, of these shows are like, like a, a robot in the 31st century trying to avoid the apocalypse. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, can I get a little bit more than that? Because that just, that doesn't sound like it's enough to base an entire TV show around. Right. Like log lines are better for movies than they are like television yes. shows and stuff for sure. Yes. Um, so uh, just to sort of piggyback out of a couple of a couple things you said here, um, you kind of mentioned the amount of streaming services um, the, the, the reason why we're getting so much foreign programming is because there are so many of these motherfuckers now they yeah. need something to show. And, you know, if you're in sort of a, 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 you know, if you're Netflix and you're competing, uh, against Alcorn or Acorn, not Alcorn, Acorn TV for British content, um, you're just going to buy up anything you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm sure they're not necessarily competing with Acorn TV, but, um, you know, Acorn is sort of like, it, it's. That is targeted our, at our moms, basically. It's just like all your British murder shows and your British um, and your, um, you know, your Victorian era um, tea shows uh, all in one place is basically what Acorn TV is. And, you know, if you're Netflix, it's like, all right, fine. Like, well, we're going to go buy everything from Korea and Japan um, right. <laughs> to, to serve our audience. So, I mean, that's, you know, just the the amount of these of these uh, services. They need content. And... Honestly, the last couple of years, Chema, it's because of the pandemic that we're sitting around with nothing to do. And mm-hmm. all of these all of these foreign shows just hit at the right time that you had a very captive worldwide audience doing nothing. So they're you know, we're going to invest our time in something. I know Squid Game would have been at the very end of the worst part of the pandemic. But, you know, you still had some other shows that like a lot of people checked out. Between you know between the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2021, there's a lot of foreign shows people checked out at that point in time. Oh God, yeah. Like I, without this pandemic, I don't even think I would know what Bridgerton is. Mm-hmm. And now like there's a, um, it's either in here in LA or in New York. There's like a immersive Bridgerton Netflix experience. Like you know they're taking like this kind of um, almost like a amusement park type experience, but like it's just for Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. So. This pandemic did wonders for these foreign shows, not just in terms of watching them, but in terms of like audience actually audiences actually going out and wanting to experience the show or things the the intellectual property mm-hmm. in other live like in person kind of ways and stuff. And like uh, Squid Game is and Netflix is rolling out a Squid Game type experience that's going to launch in New York and everything. So basically, Netflix will be a theme park here in no time. They oh, need a yep. A few more, um, you know, super monster smash hit shows that they can make rides and attractions off of. But they've started. And, you know, like these these programs like like Squid Game and Bridgerton would never be this successful if it wasn't for the pandemic. They would be watched. And I'm sure people at the AV Club and Pace Magazine and all the different online publications Mm -hmm. would fawn over them. But they wouldn't be worldwide successes the way that they are now yep 
It, exactly, exactly. All right, so Canada and, and, and the UK, they are ever present in, in um, Western media. I mean, we like we said, we, we've been watching their shows um, and, and quite frankly, adaptations of their shows our entire lives. Korea is having a moment right now. So let's take those three countries out of uh, out of consideration for this question. What other two countries do you think are poised to have, you know, a similar sort of boom with their TV show? Maybe it's only one TV show or multiple TV shows, whatever. They're, you know, what countries are going to break through Western pop culture? Or what countries are going to have shows break through in Western pop culture? Okay, I'm considering this to be one country or like be Scandinavia because like, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, they're, I that that is definitely due to make its way into America. For starters, like good looking people all over the goddamn place. Like that is for sure. And these are like good looking white people. So, you know, a mass like a mass audience would have no problem watching like blonde gods and goddesses actors act their way on screen. You've got you've got the Trumpers listening. They're listening. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Oh, yes, they are. And like just like with just like with their metal and stuff like that and how um, Scandinavian metal has got so many different genres and subgenres and all that kind of stuff. I mean, there it's the Scandinavian metal might as well be a huge family tree that just branches mm-hmm. forever. Their movies are going to be doing the same thing. And like all it's going to take is one ultra crazy fucked up horror movie that's available on a streaming service the same way that squid game was available on netflix this horror experience and this is going to catch on it's not going to be dramas are not going to be the things that open up the doors like unless it is a really specific story that is um, a story about a world event that like a lot of people just have a lot of interest in. Like it, it won't be dramas. It's going to be something in the world of sci-fi and horror where they could really open up the doors of creativity that, um, that, ex- that gets them that kind of exposure. I, I, by the way, I, they, I, I agree with you here. I have Scandinavia down as one of mine as well. And um, I agree with you, but I actually think it is going to be in dramas. Um, we have been adapting, uh, Scandinavian dramas now for about 25 years. Um, in particular, we've had like shows like The Bridge, Border Town. Um, I know there's another couple that I'm missing. The Killing, or the yeah, The Killing is a is a is a Scandinavian adaptation, I believe. Or it could be. I could be thinking. I could be mixing up a show. But we've been we've been the last like 15 to 20 years. We've been stealing all Scandinavia shows, especially all the dramas, the procedurals. And it is sort of the thing that they are actually known for worldwide. They're these very interesting slow burn procedurals simply because that's, that is like their TV and acting style is especially, um, I don't know, like stoic. And mm-hmm. so when you, when you're going to like the, that sort of school of acting and film production, you know, t- TV and film production, you have more room for like to tell the, you know, when we talk about like a procedural, um, you have more room to tell the story of the police doing their job, of the journalists doing their job, of the doctors doing their job. And that's sort of like what they're known for worldwide. And they've, they've produced enough of these that are, that are big hits that, like I said, we've been, we've been adapting them for years. Um, England's been adapting them for years. I, I think one of those is going to hit. Uh, one of those procedurals is going to hit. And it, but it's got to have the right, it's got to have the right actor um, attached to it. It has to have a name actor attached to it. But I think that's mm-hmm. what's going to end up um, crossing over into um, 
into Western pop culture. We've we've kind of tried with their horror, and when we adapt it, we kind of fuck it up. Like um, uh, "Let Me In" versus "Let the Right Let the Let the Right One In." Um, you know, that was like the original one. We kind of fuck up all the horror adaptations, and I'm not really explicitly sure why. I so, think it's going to be dramas, though. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I knew that the killing come came from over there. The bridge, I, I thought the bridge was from um, another country and stuff, which it ended up being a show on FX that ran for mm-hmm. like a couple seasons and stuff. So, I could, I could definitely, I could definitely see that. And it's been so long since I've, like, yeah, it's been so long since I've even. They've even watched one of their remade ones. Like even the, the killing and the bridge are years now removed mm-hmm. for me. So I mean, if there's going to be like a second wave of this stuff, I, mean, I guess it, you know now would be as good a time as any. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see. Like it, it I, I just, I think it's one of those. I think it's one of those. I think this is like one of those countries that, it, and but and and I don't think that we're like I don't think another country is going to have a Squid Game on their hands for another decade. Like that just. That, that, no, that's lightning yeah. in a bottle. That is right. absolute lightning in a bottle. But just thinking about like the portability of these fucking dramas, the people that they're, the audiences that they're aimed at, like I, I feel like it's, and like you said, like the, you don't have to do, you don't have to just, you know, it's a bunch of good looking white people. That's really portable in the United States. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> it, you know, like it, it, there's a reason, there's a reason why African dramas and African comedies haven't, jumped over the united states because they're not recognizable to most people in the united states oh right exactly like i i've seen some films from africa when i was in college and stuff like that and those are so culturally specific you know it's they're so culturally specific and the um in a way that it's it takes like don Cheadle and hotel rwanda to like get some kind of crossover you know it's not like like i'm sure there are people who watch the gods must be crazy in film school. And there might even be a, a very, very elite group of people that have seen like the gods must be crazy just because they wanted to. Mm -hmm. But those are just like, they're so rooted in their own culture that like it's for the, the general American audience. Some of the stuff is just going to go way over people's heads. Right. Right. Exactly. It's, and you know, and you can really attach that to a lot of the like smaller, more, um, more, Ethnically, I don't know how exactly how to say this, but smaller country, the smaller European countries where there's a really, really strong ethnic identity, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, not not saying that English people don't have an ethnic identity, but their entertainment is very, very translatable worldwide because it's, right. it's not it's not too English, it's not too this or too that. Whereas something from um, something from you know Croatia might be too Croatian to get out worldwide. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like people, people know of Croatia, but a lot of the time when people know about Croatia, it's either they have a relative from there or Game of Thrones was shot there. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm going to add to this, Chema. I think, I think Mexico might be, might be right for one of these as well. And I think it's less about, it's less about like the the growing popularity of their TV shows. Cause like I said, we, like we still haven't had, despite the fact that they are sitting right below us, we still haven't had like TV penetration that's gotten beyond the Spanish speaking audience in the United States, but we've had a lot of their performers are crossing over into huge roles in our TV mm-hmm. shows and, and movies and things like we've mentioned uh, one of our favorites on the show, Eugenio Derbez um, is in all kinds of stuff in this country. Um, Kate, uh, Kate Del Castillo 
is was in a show, um, Lorena de Sor. Uh, we adapted it as Queen of the South. Um, it was a huge show in Mexico. And she is all over stuff on, she's like on, uh, what the fuck was she on? That uh, How to Get Away with Murder. Um, mm-hmm. She's been on a ton of American TV shows. Paula Nunez has crossed over. And that's like, those are I'm, those are just a couple of the of the people in TV that have crossed over. Um, obviously, you know, we've, for years, we've, you know, we know about Alfonso Cuaron and Guillermo del Toro. I, I think that eventually, I'm, I'm waiting for, like, del Toro to, like, attach himself to a TV series. And that'll be the one that pops here in the United States. Because there is a huge, recognizable, ignorable name attached to it. <laughs> right. And, like, I will tell you, I went with Mexico, too, from the director's specifically i didn't okay. consider the, the actors and stuff but you're right like you have these guys like curan you have del toro you have alejandro um Eratu and, and stuff right like too, that yeah. they in your right too they like these huge names from mexico and stuff like that are just crushing these guys are hollywood elitist like royalty and stuff mm-hmm. like that in, in terms of directors and everything like when in the future and stuff like that. I mean, there'll be books like written about these guys as part of like a a Mexican new wave or something like that Mm -hmm. as the founders of it. So it is only a matter of time until those minds start attaching themselves to like Mexican TV shows, Mexican movies and all that stuff. And when you have these names attached to it, I mean, you're right. It's going to be unavoidable. Like you are going to see it because it's Guillermo del Toro and stuff like that. I mean, even like Roma, which Quran stuff like that is a foreign language film. Like mm-hmm. that would be the only reason that I ever would give that movie a shot is because right. Quran is a, a part of it and stuff. I probably wouldn't even know about it if it wasn't for um, Quran and Netflix and everything like that. So yeah. when these, these directors, I mean, I don't even know if, if they can get any bigger. I, I don't know if they can or not, but like at some point in time, they're just like going to, if they are not already it now are just going to be like, you know, such a brand that, Hey, like Guillermo del Toro wants to do a, vampire show in mexico he wants to hell he could even do the the shape of water but in in mexico or something and Mm -hmm. it'll it'll get its attention you know it's going to be something that people will line up outside the theater just because it's guillermo del toro yeah exactly exactly if if i if tomorrow i found out that um you know amazon prime had this mexican series that was produced by cuaron that would be like an instant like okay gotta check it out you know, some, yeah. you know, some, some crime series, some family drama. Don't care. I'll check it out. Quaron's attached to it. Right. Exactly. Like that guy like from children and men all the way to, um, all the way to Roma. Like there's something different and unique and cool about every single fucking thing that he does. And, and if you, and if it comes with one of those really cool ultra long one shots that he does, then the more the merrier and stuff, because mm-hmm. these, these visionary minds like are, they're going to get to that point eventually where they go back to uh, wanting to or going to want to make something from their home country. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. It's well, you know, just a matter of time. And plus, you know, and plus the, plus the, the money that these services can throw out to, to lure, you know, even if it is a Mexican production or, Scandinavian production or whatever, the money that that Netflix can throw around to get to get some of these people to do this stuff is unignorable. Like you just like even if you're Del Toro or Quaron and you have all the money in the fucking world, you know, and someone someone's offering you like another hundred million dollars to do something, you're almost like stupid to not do it. Oh yeah, exactly. Like if somebody hands you a hundred million dollar check and says does whatever you want, 
I'm not going to lie. I would put the Justice League Dark on hold, too. And I, I might even forget about it with the $100 million <laughs> in my pocket. So, right. yeah, it's, 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 it is unavoidable. Now, whether or not Netflix throws around $100 million, we'll see, because God only knows their financial situation is weird. And we'll, they may have to reassess once their uh, pay, um, ads and everything like that, their advertisement platform kicks off. But yeah. uh, at some point in time, they're – like it's a huge company. They're going to get the itch for another vanity project, even though they said they were going to cut those out. It's going to happen eventually. They're just going to get the urge to do it and eventually do it. Why did they give eighty million dollars to Dave Chappelle? Yeah, I don't know. That and that um, they could have easily gave him ten million dollars and got the exact same thing. Probably. And I the Chappelle stuff is just. It's one of these kind of deals where, like, I never really thought I'd ever have to, like, think about not liking Dave Chappelle because Dave Chappelle was royalty in, in our, like, early oh, 20s yeah. and go, going through mm-hmm. and stuff like that with Chappelle's show and Half-Baked and all that. And Netflix just, like, man, just, like, gave him $80 million to open up his mouth and open up his mind. And I'm not really a fan of some of the stuff that's come out about it. And it's hard, it's hard to defend. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I can't defend any of that stuff. The, like the anti-trans anti-gay shit. Like he's been, by the way, I don't know if people forget he's been on that forever. Like that is not new. There's in the, in the, like the third episode of Chappelle show. He has, he has a, he has, it's the pretty lightweight, he's pretty white lady singing about how she doesn't, how he doesn't like gay people. That is right. Yeah. What did you say? That season? Third episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus God, it's been it has been a long time since I've seen it. That's right. Yeah. So wow. This isn't new whatsoever. I think like where I kind of fall with like and it, like whatever. It's say what you want, believe what you, what you want. I don't really care. It's not like, but it's not like he's sort of. It's not like he's back with like innovative takes on things. It's it's it is the same comedy from fifteen twenty years ago. It's just, you know what I mean? Like yeah. nothing has really changed. Yeah, that's, that's right. Like there is, yeah, not much has changed there. I guess like something like episode three of Chappelle's show could get buried amongst all the pop culture references that he gave us with Rick James bitch and everything that we saw in season two. But like you, um, when I think about it, there's, he doesn't have a lot of fresh takes actually. It, it's kind of just like, older Dave Chappelle stuff applied to newer or the newer versions of the same situation, something like that. I mean, I, I kind of lost it on him in his, it would have been his second Netflix special that he did. He, he did probably 20 minutes about uh, a guy who was a pimp who wrote a book about prostitutes and stuff. And it was just like, it was just dark. Let me put it to you that way. It was really fucking dark. And it was one of those ones that like, it's, it's basically like the difference between Chappelle show season two and Chappelle show show season three, where it's like, Oh, so this is kind of like what you're actually like, like Mm -hmm. you have, you have this desire to get into some of this kind of stuff. And I'm not even going to get into the details, but God knows, like I, I would, I've been trying not to do some of the shit is just like way too fucked up. I'd love to, I would love to beat, this whole thing down, you know, take do a takedown of Dave Chappelle, but um, someone yeah, already they, tried that. They got their arm broken. Yeah, that, that's yeah, and I, I, I knew it about yeah, <laughs> yeah. So like I um, 
it's just something with him where um we just i think maybe it's just like time to to move on and stuff you know mm-hmm. yeah oh for sure um that concludes the Chappelle show segment um of, yes. this, of this particular episode no but you're right i i just like i don't know if you're not and i think we've had i think we've had this discussion in regards to comedians they they have a very similar shelf life to like musicians you know mm-hmm. you, you only have so much of a creative period before right. you just kind of like run out of you just run about out of ideas you're, you're playing the hits it's kind of very similar so like I'm not really that interested in what Dave Chappelle has to say now because it's the same thing they had to say in 2004. Yeah, I mean, like I don't even really have the desire to like see him live. Like before, like in the early 2000s, like yeah, I probably would have slept on the street to see a stand stand up comedy show to get get in tickets for it and stuff. But now, like now, not so much. And I almost feel that like with stand up comedians or even comedy stuff in general like you to get some longevity out of it you have to be like really really good but anybody even like anthony jeselnik who's still doing shows here in la and he's, he's still getting a draw but he, even that just seems so like splash in the pan it's like mm-hmm. oh he was one of those 2010s shock comics and stuff mm-hmm. listen to him tell jokes about women and black people and stuff the same way like tosh would and everything it's like you know i we've just kind of like i think moved beyond yep. some of that stuff yep fuck where's tosh i i couldn't I, the fact that i even <laughs> brought that name up like i i have not heard from him in yeah. so long i like yeah i could easily I can easily get lost in this for five minutes wondering why I haven't heard Tosh in so long, but man, dude, that was, yeah, no yep. clue where the hell that guy's been. <laughs> All right, let's, let's move on here before we get even further sidetracked. Um, and let's get into one that I'm really excited to talk about since we haven't really, it's been a while since we've had like a, a real life where we talked about like real life events on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We've done a lot of entertainment stuff and I know like some of it's crossed into real life stuff, but like this is definitely going to be real life stuff. Uh, once we sort of get done with the TV show portion of this. And this is our very Zelensky segment. We're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about the actor Volodymyr Zelensky and um, the president of the Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky. Um, so we're going to start off with the with the actor Volodymyr Zelensky and his TV show Servant of the People, um, which is available, which was recently, I want to say within the last like three months, basically since uh, probably the midpoint of, of this war, was made mm-hmm. available worldwide on Netflix, and um, seemed like an opportune time to sort of get the podcast um, pointed towards some real world stuff. So, but let's start it off with you know we are going to try to sort of separate the two personalities, you know, the two people, if you will, just for this segment, you know, just for this for our purposes here. So we're going to talk about the actor first um, and the TV show Servant of the People. So, Chema, overall, did Servant of the People get you to laugh? And and if it did, where did where did you begin laughing? Okay, my initial laugh came in the pilot during the scene in the bank. Like when he goes into the bank, he's trying to pay a loan, and then the um, the teller tells him, "Hey, your loan's taken care of." And then like you know, there's some back and forth, and then he leaves, and then we find out that like everybody who was in the bank was just basically instructed by the Ukrainian government to yes. be there and let him go ahead and stuff. So that was my first initial laugh on the show. Yes, it did get legitimate out loud laughter from me on like on multiple occasions there are a lot of very likable and very funny characters on the show even maybe if some of them are doing things you you wouldn't necessarily agree with Mm -hmm. but um yeah i mean this show i will say is is pretty legit and um it's 
enough like there's enough like i guess like what made me laugh so much about it is because even though the show is a ukrainian show i could see i could see something like this being a hit in america and even like just the way that the jokes are delivered some of the more satirical things that the president of the Ukraine has access to, like the uh, first lady button that they cover in (laughs) episode number two and stuff. These are things that like, not only are genius comedically, but like I could see these types of things being in like American shows. So because there was this assumed familiarity on my part it, it really allowed me the opportunity to, to, to laugh at it. You know, I didn't have to like work too hard to get the laughs. Yes, exactly. That, that is something that I picked up on right away. Even, even like in the very beginning of the show, it opens up like your typical American sitcom. And mm-hmm. then everyone starts speaking Russian and right. <laughs> which is kind of, you're like, Oh, okay. But it opens up with the, the dialogue, the back and forth. Um, it's a little bit different. It's, it's not like your typical multicam sitcom. Um, kind of definitely filmed more like a modern sitcom, like something like the Goldbergs or modern family or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that more of that style, but like it is eminently familiar and even, even the joke to, to go to that bank joke, which is very funny. It's, they're not just people. Those were like, those were employees of the state. So like they were, you know, they were, um, you know, they, I think you, I think you later meet a few of them when he, in the later episodes, when he's greeting all of his staff members and there's mm-hmm. like a fucking thousand of them, and a f- I'm pretty very certain a few of those people were in the bank scene. Um, okay, it, I'm not sure if that was intentional or if it was literally just like, well, we have these background actors, we'll just use them again. Um, probably the latter, but it like that bank scene just made me crack up because it there. So Zelensky goes into the bank, and the te- the teller. It's not just that like, oh, you're lost. You won a contest. You we we just pick one customer every month to to have their loan paid off. And it right. just happened to be the person that won the presidency of Ukraine. And right. and when as he's in line like greeting everyone, someone gives him someone puts a little extra sauce on their greeting. And um, I love it when they're walking out and his advisor, I, I think it's they just credited him as like prime minister or whatever. But it's um, oh, it's uh, gosh, what the hell's his name? Yuri Ivanovich. Yuri Ivanovich kind of like turns back to the guy that, that did like the little, you know, did a little improv. And just basically scolds him to not like act out, and yep. it just like it's one of those things that like I'm like God that is so per- it is so perfectly in this case Ukrainian slash Russian which we'll get to, um, but also like a joke that is 100% makes perfect sense for anyone yeah. watching something like this. Oh yeah, and like we as Americans and like having the knowledge of that area that we do, these are like all things that like it almost seems like these are things that could have been taught to us in school. Like, Mm -hmm. by the way, they're so controlled over there that this is what they make their state employees do and stuff, you Mm -hmm. know? So like there's already this like kind of foundation of knowledge that you and I have just from like our experience being alive and going to school and stuff like that, that I, I think allows us to, um, 
to appreciate those kinds of things like yep. even more so you know what i mean over mm-hmm. over there like i'm over there that's that's how it is you know right. what i'm saying so like that those people really can like relate to it and stuff but we have this kind of sort of like um six degrees of kevin bacon sort of way yeah. of relating to the, some of the things they cover on the show exactly i mean the very the very first legitimate joke is in fact a joke about the the way the way that um, these former uh, Russian bloc nations are, you know, were slash still are controlled. Um, mm-hmm. The very first joke where he's sitting on the crapper and his his family is telling him to come to the door, and he he makes I, I forgot exactly what he calls them, but he's like he's you know the, he's like oh wait let me guess the you know essentially the state has come for me, and right. the state has come for him and yeah. like it's and for them you know it, it's especially for his parents they are very like. Oh shit! Like it finally happened because his parents would have grown up mm-hmm. in Russia before it was, you know, right. before it was the Ukraine. Um, and but like it's it's that like that quick joke that like, oh shit, the worst nightmare is in fact happening right now. <laughs> like it's yeah. it has happened, but it, in a very different way. It's come for him because, by the way, you're now the head of the state. Right, exactly. It's a nice little way to flip that um, kind of th- that dynamic that we've known mm-hmm. from television and stuff. Definitely. So, what about this show surprised you? Okay, so a couple of things here. The first thing that surprised me is Zelensky's pretty fucking good on the show. Yeah, <laughs> like, man, he's real good. I, I You have a question at the end that pertains to this, so I'm just going to keep it at that. Zelensky mm-hmm. is really, really good on the show. He is charming. He's funny. It's it's somebody that you really can relate to. And like whether it's the um, the speech that is taped that eventually gets him the attention and, and all that stuff, you know, that eventually gets mm-hmm. people behind him. Or even if it's that like um, sort of fantasy sequence that we see in episode five where he's getting ready to talk to all the, the, the government officials and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he just starts going on a tear and everything like these are like extremely relatable situations and stuff. And I mean, I couldn't tell you how many times like here on the, on the show, like during our like more political centric episodes, do we have those kinds of rants and everything like that? I mean, it, it, it just has this very evergreen sort of everyday person quality that a lot of people can latch onto. Like who hasn't been frustrated with the government who hasn't mm-hmm. fantasized about what they would say or what they would do in, in those kinds of situations, you know, which I, I think just is a really, he just does everything so goddamn well in that regard. So Zelensky is just really impressive in terms of his performance and mm-hmm. everything. The second thing that surprises me is like, is exactly how spot on this like satirical elements are. And like, like I said, like the, the first lady remote stuff like that, the, um, the, like, uh, the government positions, like the health and beautification department, the food <laughs> tasters, like his own lookalike who got plastic surgery and somehow <laughs> does looks really good like him. And only in like a couple of days and stuff, you know, mm-hmm. these are, these are like these things that, um, you know, I'm sure, Everybody, you know, like we know that Biden has lookalikes. Saddam had God only knows how many lookalikes and stuff. And so there are these things that like we know that exist, but they're just used in this like comedic context. And once again, this like familiarity that we have really drives the comedy and makes the satire is as good as it is and stuff. So those are like the two things to me that really like stuck out and surprised me the most was that because like, I don't know, for some reason when I. I was reading and I saw like political satire and stuff being that this was like a show out of the Ukraine. I, I, I would have to say that my expectations weren't very, very high. Cause I don't have any 
any relationship whatsoever with Ukrainian programming or actors personalities other right. than Zelensky and this. So, I mean, I, I came in not really knowing what to expect. And like, I mean, this show, like that pilot script, a couple modifications to it, that's that's in a, a bin to be read at any one of these networks here in America. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I you're you're, you're you you hit all of the fucking the, the big points. You're dead on. Um, just to sort of add to the one, there's, you know what? It's even though it's it's politically you know it's Ukrainian politics that it's you know centered around. I one of the things that is relatable is sort of the the idea that the way that political systems, democratic political systems, are just bloated. And they are, you know, we, we t- government waste, government red tape. We've talked about that gets talked about everywhere around the world um, in mm-hmm. democracies. Obviously, we I know we've had this discussion before. I can't remember when, but like sort of the advantage to having like a complete despotic nation is that there is no red tape. You want to do right. something, it gets fucking done. <laughs> right. um, but in, in democracies where there is a process, things take a long time. And that does cause some unnecessary weight to be carried to be carried by the you know by the by the government and i love it how they point out that there is a department to oversee and to gauge the efficiency of other departments but they're not mm-hmm. really sure about that department right. it's like there's a there's a joke within the joke within the joke um oh yeah so they they do a, yeah there's that I, they do an excellent job of just of making making the joke of you know even though it's again it's about ukrainian politics the joke is applicable so many places um, which again, that's it's one of the one of the hardest. I think drama is pretty easy to translate worldwide. You know, someone gets murdered. Um, you know, there's a, you know, a crime story of some variety. There's emotions, whatever. Comedy is so much harder to transport oh, yeah. around the world. And the fact that this pretty seamlessly, um, for for it sounds like for both of us, got us some seamless laughs was is very clever and obviously like shows you just like that this show is working on um it's working on a couple different levels here to make people in america laugh oh yeah without a doubt like comedy is so difficult to transcend from one culture to another and stuff like that i mean there's there's british and australian comedians and stuff like that because those countries are very very similar to Mm -hmm. like america with certain things especially like the language number one but um but like with with this you know they they didn't like i know that there's like ukrainian like specific things and stuff but they did a really good job of like sort of like generalizing these specific things to make them more appealable and thus have more people get or yeah, more appealable and thus making more people able to like get the humor yeah. and comprehend the humor. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I'm, I'm with you on all that, and I'll get I'll get into some structure stuff that did kind of surprise me. Um, so the so we get like about what about four three to four minutes. In the very first, in the pilot episode of of uh, Vasha, you know, get going through his morning routine with his family, you know, getting breakfast, getting his shirt ready. We meet his mm-hmm. parents, we meet his niece, um, Natasha, Natasha, um, and, and so like we we get that routine, and then like we are jumping right into him being president right after that. Like yes, the speed with which we get into that kind of kind of surprised me because I like if this was an American production the all the stuff that we see in the in all the stuff that we see in his home life um you know we you know in episode is it episode three we meet his wife and kid 
Uh, it is episode. Ooh, I want it's either two or three because yeah. I know they address it really early on, and he's on the carousel. It might be episode three. Yeah, I think I think we hear about them before, and then we meet him in episode three. Um, we get more background in his teaching job in episode two. Um, mm-hmm. There's the um, the the Ukrainian oligarchs, the which. I kind of assume are representative of the old Russian oligarchs that we never see facially. Mm-hmm. There's, they're just eating caviar the entire time, basically. Right. Um, you know, they have like the, the opposition research to figure out who the fuck he is. And <clears throat> so we get like some information that way. All of that in an American TV show would have happened in the first episode. And it just, it spread out over the first four. That right. Really exactly. surprised me. Oh yeah, I got a lot of stuff. I got some things to say about pacing and everything like that when we get to another question here. But okay. yeah, you are with this one specifically. Yes, you are one hundred and ten percent right. And to just kind of stay with what you said, all of this would have happened in episode number one, hands down. It would have been uh, shorter scenes. We wouldn't have, I think, as good of a relationship with the characters after the pilot in American pr- production, mm-hmm. but that would just d- develop over time. It, it seems like here they, they kind of stuck around with things um, to to give you kind of like everything that you needed to know and like then some in the pilot. Right, exactly. We wouldn't have ended with a Zizio, um party, uh, cons- private concert. Um, yeah. in, in the pilot episode of, a, of an American TV show like that, which I'm going to go ahead and guess that that is one of the um, this. It, it's not it's not a real musician um, that they that they bring in. Obviously, it looks ridiculous. But um, I, I'm guessing that that is that is one of those very specific Ukrainian jokes. I wonder if like Zidjo means something like in Ukrainian, because like, yeah, I get the like I get the idea of the joke that like the like the name is odd like it's like a super it's a super specific um you know super specific subgenre of music that's you know that his niece is looking you know his niece is into or whatever um and like no one can like find anything you know no one can find the CDs or anything else um so they just bring the the actual um uh, musician to uh, her birthday party but like i'm guessing that is one of the sort of language barrier things that like is probably much funnier in, in if you know uh russian or ukrainian yeah, definitely. And like, it's as good as that scene at the end. Like, you know, I, I get what they were going for. That was definitely more for the Ukrainians and Eastern Europeans, for sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, real person. Um, but it's like, um, but they're like a novelty thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, just, just that whole thing. Yeah. Like that, that whole thing that I'm saying there, that like just being that's not something that like I think would be in like an American show, like that kind of ending. I think that that right there is just maybe yeah. more of their style. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, all right. So what shows American or otherwise does servant of the people remind you of? Okay. Veep by far and yeah. away. Like, yeah, this is, I mean, the characters are almost like the same, you know, whether, you know, he's, the, he's the president and he happens to be in this, unusual democracy situation, you know, that unusual to us anyway, because it's just the the Ukrainian government, Mm -hmm. but Veep, like um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character is the vice president of the United States. And she's kind of also in this position that like, you know, doesn't really like have any power. She's not like the, um, the, the puppet for like the oligarchs, how the the oligarchs see um, Vaja, but this idea of this like 
person with power but doesn't really have any power kind of that that idea kind of runs between the two characters for sure Mm -hmm. and particularly with some of the punchlines and like the way that the 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 punchlines and some of the humor is delivered it's it's right i mean like the the two are like the same even even like like no joke just to go back to this drum a little bit here the first lady remote that is something that could easily have been in like Veep or a concept like that, you yeah. know, where you just press this button and here's, here's what it does. So that I think is the most, like, that's the most comparable. And, but I, like, other than that, like I, you know, they're just these almost like fish out of water situations, which for some reason, just mm-hmm. I, I go maybe to more to movies, like little big league, you know, just this kid all of a sudden is now like the coach of like the Minnesota twins, you know, like any type of, any type of show or situation where somebody is just kind of like really th- thrown into a situation that they have no idea what the hell that they are doing, you know? And even like the, I, the idea of like even Southern sudden wealth, that's maybe like explored, like in like the Beverly Hillbillies and stuff where there's all these, like his family where now they have all this money. And like, what's the first thing they want to do Hang gold frame paintings in their house and they mm-hmm. go to the store and everybody's like nice to them and shit. So there are definitely elements of, entertainment that we've we've seen here in america i would have but i just think that veep is like it's like easily the closest comparison yeah it's such a close comparison that i didn't even bother with it because i figured you'd you'd mention it or we would both mention it just offhand i mean it's it's right there and oddly enough they would have started around right around the same time too which is kind of interesting um i think veep has a beat by a year possibly a couple years i think yeah they might yeah i and for some reason, I'm remembering the being around like in like 2014, maybe and stuff. It, it lasted a while, but there was these um, breaks in between the the seasons. I don't think it aired every year consistently. There might have been like a longer gap between a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So I mean, Veep is definitely right. I mean, that's that's the obvious one. Um, I also came to this is like an inverse Shit's Creek. Um, it's, it's fish out of water, but it's Mm -hmm. this poor family. It's coming into sort of unintentionally coming into wealth and sort of the way that everyone in Schitt's Creek kind of looks at the Rose family, like with, you know, they're not, they're not like mean or anything, but they do look at them like, holy shit. Like, what are you people doing here? Kind of, you know, that's the kind of vibe you get. It's the exact opposite. (laughs) Now that, now that Vash is president, everyone is trying to suck their dicks as hard as they fucking can. Um, oh yeah it is an inverse Schitt's Creek and obviously that's just that is definitely a um uh again like another nod to sort of the way the way that the the state has a significant amount more control over the everyday people um in in uh in Ukraine but you know just this inverted Schitt's Creek and the comedy has a very it's a very surrealist kind of uh, you know kind of comedy or I should say maybe on the edge of surreal like we are getting into some really absurd stuff, like with the with a non English speaking Obama lookalike, um, right. <laughs> which is a great moment where he greets him in English and the guy looks at him like I have no idea what you're saying, right. <laughs> and like, and he's kind of like, well, why do we even have? Why does he even look like Obama if he's not going to speak English? Um, like, you know, we get the we get the the hallucination and the dis- the discussion with Abraham Lincoln, um, right. and you know Abraham Lincoln talking about assholes. It's like this very heightened type of comedy that really reminded me a lot of the IT crowd. Um, that just the IT the IT crowd is playing at 
just a higher pitch where everything is just everyone and everything is just a little bit weird. Um, yeah. So when so as long as you know as long as everyone is at that level, then it sort of works. And like even even in Serving the People, even Yuri Ivanovich, who is definitely like you know supposed to be like the straight man, even he is playing absurd. Like he is the yeah. one who offers him the first lady button. Right. Exactly. Yes. There's definitely this like sense of heightenedness there, but they they do it the right way. Like you take that that speech with Lincoln and everything like that. Totally took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. Didn't expect that. I know that in, earlier in that episode, he had the conversation with these like imaginary gods and uh, even the was, imaginary. Uh, it was Pluto and oh fuck, it, it, Pluto and Arist- Pluto and Aristotle's. I think Arist- Ar- oh. Aristotle. I think. Okay. Yeah. Like they're like, even like those people were just like, Oh, he wants to change things. He does all that, you know, and this, this, um, thing with Lincoln has a lot of comedy in there, but that speech is quintessentially the point of the entire show is, mm-hmm. you know, and he, and, um, there's this, com- like there's discussion and it gets to slavery and stuff. And Lincoln's talking about how, like, you know, Oh, I freed the slaves. And, um, Bosch is like, yeah, well we, we don't like have slavery here. And he's just like, Oh, you have these rich people like living off the, the backs of, you know, the, the poor and everything like the masses. And that's not slavery. And he says, you could be the one who actually like frees these people and stuff. And for such a great com- comedic scene, it contains the, um, the core of the entire story. Mm. Yep. Yep. The, the, com- a, a fake, a fake Russian speaking Abraham Lincoln um, yeah. is at the core of the show. I mean, you're absolutely right. That, it's, that is like, that is like the critical scene because before then, you know, he, he has that conversation with Lincoln and then, you know, he changes the location of the speech to, um, to his, was it old, uh, the, was the department of education? Yeah, I think so. I, yeah, I, I think so. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. But basically, you know, he, you know, basically he takes the, the pomp and circumstance out of it. To make him appear like you know he is just you know a regular teacher, um, mm-hmm. you know that that's like the whole point. So like it is this out of this absurd conversation comes like the crux of the show, which is fucking right. great. So besides Vasya, um, which other character stood out to you? The Prime Minister Yuri is that guy is the man. On the he's show. great. That is he's fucking easily- great easily the second best character on the show besides Vasha. Then I would say that the number three, my third is the father mm-hmm. is a Peter Golobrodico played by Victor Serkin. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of has this William Forsythe thing going on there, at least in his IMDb picture. And like the, it, this is just like comedy gold there and stuff. Like when the, the store owner presents him with the, the like raft motorized raft, he's like, can I get the same one in blue? He's really like living this life. He's mm-hmm. got beef with the neighbors and stuff. Like this whole thing is like the greatest thing for the father. And he's like loving every single minute of this. And I'm not going to lie. If I was a, uh, if I was the, the father of, a, of the, the president of a country, I'd be doing the exact same fucking shit. Give me all the gold frame paintings in my apartment at once and then have somebody here to redecorate and redo the whole thing. Yep. Yep. His his dad is um, uh, his dad is having a great time. And it's such a it is a it is a very recognizable performance. Like he mm-hmm. is t- you, he is sitcom dad through and through. And obviously yeah. with some different, you know, some different twists on it or wherever else. But he is sitcom dad through and through. The performance is big, but it it's a performance that needs to be big, right? Like he's got he has to fill that space. He's got to be a little bit ridiculous. Um, it, it just it works so well. It, it, he's fucking fantastic. And with you and Yuri, Yuri Ivanovich, played by uh, Stanislav Boklan, um, he he nails the jaded politician 
And even though he's the straight man, you know, to, you know, even though he's one of the straight, I guess there's like probably two straight men, if you will. Um, uh, it, again, because there's like a heightened sense of comedy and a heightened sense of reality, he still gets those moments to be fucking absurd. The, you know, the, the scene w- uh, where they're shoving walnuts in their mouth to give the speech. Um, right. <laughs> the Obviously the first lady button. And I, I love the, um, when he's sitting in the limo and he just looks at him and he goes, so how did you, how did you raise that money? And he goes, crowdfunding. And he, and he yeah. kind of winks at him. He's like, crowdfunding, gotcha. You don't have to tell yeah. me. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the whole thing, like, this guy and the two, and Vaja have an incredible dynamic on um, on camera and stuff. It's, it's not this dynamic that, like, we haven't seen before. It's a very familiar dynamic. But they knock everything out of the part. He's like mm-hmm. this, this guiding mentor figure for him. Like, hey, be sure that you shake Merkel's hand this way because that's how much money we're going to get from the German bank. And stuff. Right. There's all these cool fill-ins and information and stuff like that, that to help him get into this life and stuff, you know, and the character is by far and away, like I, I he, at times he is better written than Baja is. It just oh, yeah. kind of depends on the situation. Yeah. Yes. I would 100% agree with that. 100% agree with that. Great character. Um, love it. There's, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, it, really at this point so far, there haven't been any characters that I don't like. Yeah, that's a good point. Not really any unlikable characters. Like, the oligarchs and stuff like that, I mean, you know, you're naturally going to not like them, but you don't get enough with them to say, right. like, oh, my God, I legitimately hate these fucking oligarchs. You know, right. they're, the oligarchs are not, like, King Joffrey here. Right, exactly. They're they're just, they are just, they're there to sort of um, provide a little context for, you know, what, you know, for the, for the political world that he's in, basically, right. and, and what he's fighting against. Uh, but yeah, there aren't even you know even even the characters we haven't seen much of at this point. Like I have I have a feeling his sister is going to be very funny once once we really get the chance to see her do some more stuff. Like I have a feeling. Yeah, I got to episode like six, I think, and like the the family like is in it more, but it, it's still like I didn't at first I didn't know there were going to be twenty four episodes of the show per season. I was like, what the hell is this? The nineties, but like it's <laughs> right. Like, um, but like the family like gets progressively more and more a part of the story. I'm only safe to assume that as it goes on, they have a much bigger part of the yeah, show. Yeah. All right. So what would, this doesn't have to be a full pitch obviously, but what would an American adaptation of this show look like? Like what would be the major differences? Okay. The major differences. Um, I, I, I think the, the lead would be a female lead. Mm. Just my, my overall thing. I just, I, I think that um, it's important for, the public to start to get used to a woman in the role of the president. And we've seen it before. I know that, but um, I just, I think that it's important for women and like minorities and stuff like that to be seen in this kind of role and stuff like that, you know, cause that's just the way the country's going. Eventually it's going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, we need to embrace, you know, people who aren't embracing of it need to start getting used to it. Cause that's the way it's going to happen. Um, okay. So the other thing is and this may be a bold one, but I don't necessarily know if they would be president in the first season. I actually think the season, mm. the first season would focus a lot more on the campaign. And then once we get to the election, which would be sort of around the, the penultimate episode or so, that's when they actually get into the office and stuff. And like just the way that our character development is, I, you know, it would probably be pitched as a show who's like, you know, okay, it's this, this everyday person who's now like 
deciding to become president and stuff. And I think mm-hmm. a good way to get longevity out of the show, which, you know, the television is a business. They love longevity. The first season would, would mostly be this person trying to, um, trying to become the president. They yeah. may not get it in the end. It may happen in the middle of the season, but we'd have a lot more time with them trying to get the presidency than what we saw in, in this show. Correct. Um, yes, totally agree. I, I also think that we would have a very clear sense of an active antagonist in an American version of the show. We have the oligarchs in Servant of the People. You know, there's, you know, I guess like Yuri, he maybe butts heads with back and forth, Mm -hmm. but there's no like real antagonist that people just like want to hate. So I said, basically like everybody on the show in an American show, you would have somebody that, that fucking person hates and the audience hates along with that. That is 100% guaranteed. Yep. Like as, that is as guaranteed as death and taxes. American audience love to hate shit. So we would have an identifiable antagonist within, within the pilot. Almost. Oh, absolutely. Can I, and can I tell you who it would be? Who would that be? It would be Yuri Ivanovich. It would, but you know, but the equivalent would be like, yeah. cause it would be whoever they pick, whoever the, the DNC or RNC, whomever, probably the DNC would pick as his vice president. That would be sort of his antagonist. The, the person who is old politics versus new politics. That's what the conflict would be. Right, exactly. And like, we we don't really get a taste of the old versus like, um, at least somebody beyond Yuri and Servant of the People until episode five, when we meet the guy who was the president before yeah, the, him. Yeah, the outgoing president. Yep. Correct. Because then like in episode six, I believe, is when the outgoing president um, announces that he's got like some kind of plan to like get back into power. It's Correct. literally yep. like four lines or something like that, mm-hmm. but it's, you get a clear sense that like this guy may develop into more of like an antagonistic role as the show goes on and an antagonist with a goal, too, right. you know? So that, right. that is something that I, I did notice from that. Um, we would be maximizing conflicts at every fucking cost in an American version. Oh yes, there is there is conflict on this show. I mean, it's a television show. There's going to be conflict there, and the overall premise of the show, this you know guy, regular guy being the president, that's a conflict there. But I feel we'd have maximum conflict. I mean, and some of this may be like unnecessary, but like just knowing. American television and the idea of maximizing conflict, there would be some issue between him and the family there. Every, not just the family collectively, the main character would have some kind of conflict with every single member of his family, no matter what it is, you know? And then he would have the ex-wife and the kid conflict. That would be a whole thing that eventually grows from there. There would be conflict with, uh, you know, the number two in the position, there'd be conflict with his aides. There'd be conflict with Mm -hmm. other fucking countries. I mean, you would have so much goddamn conflict going on that it would be just a sea of conflict to swim in. So, and like, you don't really get, the sea of conflict here. You could feel the conflict in certain situations, but it's not cranked up to 11, how it would be here in um, American shows. And then the last thing, and this will kind of go back to some of the stuff that we had talked about earlier is the pacing. And like you made this great point about all this stuff happening in the pilot, there would be this show in America would be way more episodic. So take the idea of what we get into with the first three episodes with the speech that he's going to make. Mm -hmm. They drag the idea of the speech out 
I think it's introduced in the first episode, then he finally makes it in episode three. That speech may just be half of an episode here in America, you oh, know, yeah. because like we just don't draw out shit like that. You know, our audiences are going to want to wrap up with the speech and then get on to the next conflict. The speech is this vital element of the show for three or for two of three episodes, you know, the first three episodes. And like that um, to me is also like just something that I, I kind of identify with like foreign programming and stuff is just kind of drawing these things out. Mm-hmm. But that's only because I'm used to American television where something like this is the person in the morning struggling to give their speech throughout the entire time. It's like, Oh, the speech has gotten worse. And Oh my God, it's just, we need to do this, that, and the other, can the person even deliver the speech, all that kind of conflict. And then when it's all said and done, they finally give the speech in the last five minutes of the show and all is well. Yeah. And I think, I think you, you're 100% correct. And I think that's just a result of, um, you, you, as you mentioned, how many episodes of the show there are. Um, and, but also like they're, you know, you're talking 20 to 25 minutes per episode. So like they kind of have to stretch stuff out and right. we're so used to a model now where we are, where your prime, you know, your prime HBO show has eight episodes. That is it. Yeah. <laughs> like right. that's So more has to happen in every episode. Like, but you're, you're absolutely right that this would, the speech would have been, it would have started in episode one, you know, probably, probably, you know, if you follow the exact same format, him, him becoming president in the first episode, it would have started, you know, partway into episode one and would have concluded, concluded by the end of episode one. That'd be the end, would be the speech. Um, we just, we, we wouldn't have time for it, uh, which is probably one of, it's just, it's funny that we, we come back to these complaints with TV that you and I have both said it before. I want shorter movies and I want TV shows that are longer, that, like not necessarily in individual episodes, but like if if it takes you twelve episodes to tell the whole story, do it in twelve instead of truncating it and shoving it into eight Game of Thrones, um, <laughs> yeah. or six Game of Thrones. Like it's go ahead and tell mm-hmm. a twelve episode story. Then um, I'd rather have that. It's not that big of a deal, but right. You're, you're what Jimmy? You're one hundred percent correct. Yeah, I mean, you make a good example with that Game of Thrones stuff because, like, you, you and I, being fans of the show and having watched it and have God only knows how many conversations about it, those things and that shit that they were trying to pull in those last couple seasons, those were extremely noticeable. The way that they were speeding up time because mm-hmm. they went from this slow, what I thought was a very, very structured and organized pace to, okay, we need to have these people walking what apparently is a month's walk beyond the wall. Then they get caught into some stuff. Somebody runs back and they somehow make it back in like a day or two. Mm -hmm. Then Daenerys flies out there, this long ass journey. And then there's this huge freaking battle sequence. It's like somewhere in there, they paid zero attention to the the pacing of the show that they established in the years prior. Yeah. It took them like a month to, to leave the first episode. They talk about how it took like a month to go from King's landing to um, Winterfell. Right. That's right. Yeah. And then like, it seemed like that distance was being traveled so easily as the show Mm -hmm. got, the show continued and played people were there and then back and then there and there and back again in like one episode. And, and and, (laughs) it's ridiculous. And just to sort of hammer this again, the, um, you know, the, the season where we have Brian of Tarth, uh, escorting, um, um, escorting Lannister, um, what is that? Third season? Season three. Yes. Season three. It takes the whole season. That's to escort him. 
That's right. Yeah, it does. That is totally fucking right. And then there's the later seasons that if that was a later season, that escorting thing would have been done in half of one of the episodes. Yep. That is very, very bizarre. But anyway, yes, you're, you're let's not get off on this tangent because we can go on forever. Um, the, yep. the pacing stuff is just is very interesting. The show. So love all your points. You're absolutely you, you're hitting all the big ones right on. Um, the interesting thing is, I don't I don't think that this this is, I'm not even going to disagree with you. I just think that this show doesn't really port well with the with our subject being the president right like i i think that in in this case this show would be much smaller and i think it would work better as a smaller show like there's so much to to get you know to become um an elected official especially in these bigger offices you know obviously president but like governor of a state senator um you know something like this, some, even mayor of a city takes so much um, so much capital, like literal, you know, money capital, but also like social capital, also like time investment. Like it just it is like way too much. You know, obviously they're they're writing loopholes into this TV show anyway. But like I, I don't think like we could quite float that in the United States. So I, I just I and also I think this country is too big for that kind of story. Like just like you know I don't think that the especially right now the United States cannot decide on one person to be the president. Like it's there just would no there would not be an overwhelming winner so i think at least for me like this adaptation would be shrunk down to something like um something where you you kind of can get into the office with no experience and chumba if we're like in some of these like rural counties out in the midwest you don't have to have a law degree to be a judge you just have to win an election you don't have to have a lot you don't have to have spent a single day in law enforcement to be a sheriff you just have to win the election. And I right. I think that's the direction it goes in the United States. He would be, you know, he or she would become a, a judge in some rural, rural county in Iowa or Illinois or Missouri or something. And, you know, pissed, you know, it would have the same kind of thing. A teacher that's pissed off about something threatens, you know, like, fuck this. I'm going to run for judge. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to or, you know, or maybe it's a, a shop owner pissed off about crime. I'm going to run for sheriff. I'll show him how to run the run the department. And then, you know, their their rant goes viral and boom, they are like they become those right. people. They get elected to it. And so you get that fish out of water sort of thing. You get the people that are more experienced around uh, around the person. So I think so I think shrinking it down makes more sense. And you can also tell like a little bit more personal stories um, if you do shrink it down a little bit more, you know, people tackling corruption and how it's affecting individuals or whatever. Um, I, you know, individual civil rights battles, if it's a sheriff's department that's particularly plagued with complaints about like, you know, violating, uh, violating people's rights or whatever. I, I think that that makes a little bit more sense for something that we would adapt in our country. Yeah, it make it a little bit more believable too. Yeah. I mean, you're you're 100 percent right with all this stuff in like these counties. I mean, Macedonia has got mayor's court, you know, so the mayor is the judge, and like, right. you, they want you to have like a, a a law degree and stuff like that, but like, it's Nick Nick Molnar's the mayor, right? Like, is, uh, is it, I think he's mayor of Northfield. Northfield. Okay, I, I, I knew think I, I'm like you're right. Like I'm sitting here like, wait a second. No, you might be right. By the way, I rarely pay attention to this kind of shit, but yeah, either way. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I I know that he campaigned. I just can't remember which area of the Nordonia community he's the the mayor of, but like... Uh, No, you were correct. Macedonia. 
he yeah and like he he did not go to law school and stuff like that i mean mm-hmm. he's a really smart guy and stuff but and he's like the judge and everything like that and i, I he's been in the game so long he he knows right. what he's doing i'm not about to like hate on nick molnar or anything like that i, I like him as a friend personally right. but like um you know that that is totally believable and i i think that when you're looking at like a show like this especially if it was to air in the states it would just be a little bit better if there was some level of believability and the idea that you know somebody being the president yeah that's that's a little bit far up a leap and stuff and like you could even like you you make a really good point like you could address and make commentary on a a wide range of of issues social issues and stuff like that and it'll all you could do the same thing that you'd be doing as a president as as a judge or a sheriff but it would just be a little bit more believable and thus Mm -hmm. resonate with people more exactly exactly but uh either way like both are adaptations i think they, they they both work either way um, so just really to wrap this part up real quickly, who would, who would play your version of Asha? Okay. Way out of left field here, but I'm going for America Ferreira. America oh, Ferreira like has this, has this very, very like lovable kind of quality to her. You could really get behind her like in, in Superstore and stuff like that. And some of the other things that I've seen her in, it's a character that you could really root for. And this, somebody does have to have this lovability, but also be able to kind of like turn it on into like serious mode too, which she can do and her overall like her overall look i just i buy as being very very believable for a show like this you know she has this very very personal appearance this like really wide smile and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so it's it's somebody out there that like in when you see them it's not like you automatically hate them like you you could you could see yourself rooting for that person and, and given the, the right situation i mean whether it is the president or if it's america ferrera being the judge of the the county that's on the ohio india the one of the many counties that's on the ohio indiana border it's 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 going to be believable it might mm-hmm. actually be a way more dramatic if it's america ferrera being a judge in one of those counties I agree with you, and what a great choice! I love America Ferrera. She's fucking great. Uh, she's fantastic. She's been she has been fantastic now for almost twenty years in in American pop culture, uh, which is kind of hard to believe that she's been around that right. long. But right. um, but yeah, no, she's fantastic. She's an excellent choice, and I had a, I had a very similar thought um, that if, if we're you know we want to address more than just like political cor- corruption, we both probably have the same kind of idea of like social issues in mind. Um, I, I, this is a, this, it works for my adaptation. It's a little oddball, but it works for my adaptation. I immediately felt like, boy, wouldn't it be interesting if Steven Yoon was the sheriff of some redneck county <laughs> in Iowa? Um, you know, like, you know, he moved there for whatever reason, who the hell knows why. And he's the judge or the sheriff of some small county in Iowa or something. Well, I can tell you after seeing Nope, he looks great in a fucking cowboy hat. So <laughs> yes, he this, does. um, this, the idea of putting him into a more rural situation as as very much as it is a nope, it's very optically. It looks really good. You know what I'm saying? Like I could believe it just by seeing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, I, I love Steven. He's had a tremendous, tremendous post walking dead career. Um, yes. Like, and I kind of feel like he's, he and Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I mean, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's still on the walking dead, but like, those are the only two in more recent years that have sort of like used Walking Dead to catapult them onto new stuff. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there are people like out there that I'm sure have gotten work from being on The Walking Dead. But I could tell you what Andrew Lincoln has done um, since The Walking Dead. Like I Lauren Kohan, I'm sure, has done stuff. I have no fucking idea what it she, is. She had but, a couple but, TV shows bomb. You know, that's yeah. why she ended up coming back. Yeah, so, like, I mean, I just, like, I'm, I'm not really, like, God, there's so many faces on that show that are just kind of going through my mind. And, like, those two, like, Jeffrey Dean Morgan's going to be on The Boys season four. Mm-hmm. They just announced and everything. And, like, Stephen Yoon just tearing between Sorry to Bother You and Nope, he's really finding his way is this cool supporting character in these, you know, like, um, it, but Nope is a, a monster success, you know, just with Jordan Peele and everything mm-hmm. like that. But he's he's finding his home in these in in these unusual but yet successful to a certain degree movies nominated for an academy award uh, for minority that's right he was that's Mm -hmm. right yes he was that's right yeah he's had he's a tremendous post um uh, post walking dead career so good for him all right so let's jump into now Zelensky, the actual world leader um but we'll, we'll start off with a quick comparison here um so how does president Zelensky compare to president uh vasily petrovich well, it kind of sounds like they're pretty the same. They're pretty much the same dude here. So, like, I they um, their actions, I think, like at least from what I've seen in the show, like, are there's some they may not match up because I know Zelensky had dissolved some of the parliament and made all these adjustments, mm-hmm. kind of the, the same way that Basha has. So, to me, like fundamentally, they are the same type of person. Like, I, I only safe to assume that Volinsky went on a tear about the Ukrainian government at one point in time. Probably. And and like I could see them having basically like the same worldviews. So, I mean, it's it's pretty much the exact same guy. I, I'm safe to assume the family situation is different, but uh, for the most part, <laughs> right. it's the right. same dude. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean. I guess it's not that interesting. I mean, it's this is a, a character that he wrote. So, I mean, he you know, he wrote it for himself. So, mm-hmm. like, it, it's not that surprising. But at the same time, it is it is very it is very interesting how that was, you know, that was the TV show. And then later that is his platform is like this anti-corruption, smaller government you know, accountability platform um, that I, I'm assuming was I'm assuming other people of other candidates have said that in the past. But you know, if we're still lampooning it as this, the, you know, the first seasons in 2015, if we're still lampooning it in 2015, uh, what would have been the, you know, about what year 24 or 25 of Ukrainian independence that that means it really hasn't come to fruition yet at that point in time. So, right. um, so it is interesting that the, the, those similarities, but obviously with the circumstances that we have been made aware, truly aware of who Volodymyr Zelensky is, um, boy, does he, they, even though they look the same, he looks so fucking different in person when we see him. I yeah. mean, like, I know a part of that's also just the cameras and stuff. Like he's mostly being shot like at this point on cell phones and shit, but mm-hmm. he just looks different. He looks like the person who is, who is waging a war from underground, basically. Right. He, the way he looks now, he looks like somebody who's been a president and has dealt with shit for like 30 years. I mean, the I know he's got the, the beard now and everything, which he, he didn't have in the, the episodes <laughs> of the show that I watched. But I mean, like that his appearance is just way more like grizzled and tenured in this short amount of time. Like I remember, I remember when, you know, footage was around of him when Trump made his perfect calls wanting to root out Ukrainian corruption and everything like that over there. And he still kind of, 
he still kind of looked like he almost does in the show, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it, 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 I'm not like saying that he he's dumb or anything, but he just ha- kind of has this like light, goofy kind of like appearance yeah. to himself. Even back then, you know, he looked like a guy who, he honestly looked like this kind of dude who like would get bullied and pushed around by Trump and everything. And now when I see him with the beard, like I, I see him putting Trump in a fucking headlock just because he can, you know? So like I, this, this war in the situation that he's in is really added some, added some years onto him. You know what I'm saying? Probably added three years in the last six months onto this guy. Mm-hmm. There's, there's definitely like a, a spark that, pre-war Zelensky had that he does not have now that like Mm -hmm. the reality of watching his um his citizens die every single day is just mounting on him but you can just see it yeah and it is this sort of interesting thing that like world you know not that that Ukraine is a small country but it's, it's not a big country either I mean we have like I'm pretty sure LA County is like four times the size of of Ukraine yeah. <laughs> um, LA County is bigger than like most states. So I mean, it's not surprising, yeah, but right. <laughs> um, it's not surprising, but point being that like, it, here's where I was going with this. The, the leaders of a lot of times, the leaders of these very small countries, they don't, not that they don't have like leadership qualities, but boy, they don't have the fucking pressure that like Obama had as being president, that Trump mm-hmm. had as being president that, you know what I mean? Like, right. The pressure isn't there when you're the president of Iceland. No one gives a shit. I'm like, right. no right. one's coming to kill you. No one's threatening your country. You're like the leaders of these smaller nations have clearly have much fewer burdens. Not that they don't have their own issues. Every country has its own issues. Um, but like you can just tell like there's there's just something different about, um, uh, you know, the 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 super young uh, prime minister of Finland who's out of right. the clubs grinding on women. Um, yeah. She's also a woman, too, by the way. But, like, there is, she has a spark there that if her country was suddenly plunged into war the same way that Zelensky's country was, that spark would be absolutely fucking killed in her. It'd be dead. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, exactly, dude. Like, these smaller countries and stuff, like, you're right, they have a lot of problems. However, they don't, you know, they're not as big as we are, and they also, like they kind of seem to have their shit together more, you know, if you want to talk about in terms of like quality of life and everything, you know, a lot of these Scandinavian countries and European countries have like a much higher quality of life. And like, it's just something that they've had forever. So unless, you know, you're looking at like another country invading you, not really much is going to change. You know, you don't have like, there's not a lot of reasons to like mess around with these, with the socialism and these standards and like, you know, the, all the, the paid maternity leave and all that, like, you're not going to mess around with that stuff. Like, it's just part of your country. It's ingrained mm-hmm. in the culture and everything. So yep. you, these these people had very, very difficult jobs and stuff. They had jobs that I, I, I probably could not do, nor and I would also question about even wanting to do. But, like, they, they have, like, a little bit more freedom than what we have over here. And, like, you know, they have conflicting sides. They do. But it's just a little bit different over there. Like their sides aren't like going to try to like overthrow the government and stuff. It's a little bit more of like um, tradition and like kind of like respect and, you know, just shit that we have here that they just don't have over there on the scale that we have. here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So any moments from the show that were eye opening, given the background that we're watching this, that we're watching the show against? 
Okay, the idea of this like kind of like pseudo democracy type thing, I think, was a little bit like eye opening for me. Just also in the fact that they really kind of hammered this onto the show, mm-hmm. and the um, you know, we're aware, well aware of like what is going on over there, and and they have and what's been going on like in that section of the world forever now. I mean, we you know we were born into the fall of the Berlin Wall and stuff, so. Um, the, the the fact that it's eye opening is that number one that it, that all that stuff is like still kind of going on. Mm-hmm. The fact that they portray it the, the way that they do comedically, you know, with comedy in this like real world situation, and the fact that this real world situation is also something that is extremely like important and everything, and like impoverishing like the masses and stuff. You mm-hmm. know, it's um it's a very very great and educated take on this particular subject yeah yeah absolutely i, I i'm, I'm going to add sort of a, a i'm just going to add an addendum to that basically just that, like yeah all this has been going on and it's just interesting how much and how frequently putin is mentioned in this show and mm-hmm. clearly clearly because of this sort of history he has to be on the mind of everyone not just in ukraine any country that borders russia he has to be on yeah. the mind at all times Oh God, yeah, dude. They like he's somebody that's going to be hanging over that section of the world. I mean, like that's what they have over there is something that we we don't have here. You know, I mean, like we, number one, we have we have good relations with Canada and Mexico, mm-hmm. and the other thing too is that we're a, a more powerful nation militarily than those two countries. So there are just things that we don't really have to worry about in in terms of Canada and Mexico. You know, mm-hmm. but like, like over there. It's not just Ukraine. It's this. It's a collage of countries that border this massive nation, Russia, who has been in, who's been trying to like get their dick bigger since they the collapse of the Cold War, and like he is like Putin is on this quest. Like it's it's not just like one of these economic quests. Like this is like a, a muscle power flexing quest and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And when you have these craziest shit demagogue leaders like he is over there I, you know it's I, I i don't necessarily know if life in the 60s here in america is like the, the whole threat of nuclear war is like a, 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 it seems like it's the same comparison i just don't necessarily know if it's the fair one because mm-hmm. those people live in that threat of nuclear war all the time i would actually think that they might be at a graver threat because the source of all the craziness is right there. While it's here in America in the sixties, Russia put the, the missiles and stuff like that in Cuba. So, I mean, like we had that kind of stress and that cloud hanging over us, but over there, it's like way more prominent over there. They, you know, Putin could just say, Hey, we're going to take a nuke and let's go see what the hell can happen. We have a little bit like more security over here in America, and even back in the '60s, we did have a little bit more security. Right. But over there, it's it's got to be it's got to be way worse. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. like this whole thing that this conflict that's going on in in the Ukraine right now with Russia, the the Russian war is a fucking war. Yeah. Russia attacking the shit out of those people for no reason whatsoever, other than their own, you know, masculinity puffing puffing chest issues, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, like those, this could have been something that Ukraine has been worried about the entire time it's been an independent country, much like King Varys in House of the Dragon being worried about the White Walker invasion, which is, will happen, but much later in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice drop there. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, it's not just since they've been independent, since they, I mean, they, you, the Ukraine people have been in conflict with Russia for 
now hundreds and hundreds of years. And mm-hmm. but like yeah, but since since you know since they broke away, um, you know some of these some of these old Russian bloc nations like Belarus is you know they have remained loyal and faithful to Russia. Um, mm-hmm. I can't remember the the Belarusian president um, off the top of my head, but basically he's allowing Russia to do whatever on the, at their you right. know at their border. So yeah. like there are countries that have. You know, that's because Belarus is like the size of my thumb. Like, what are they going <laughs> right. to do? Um, whereas, whereas Ukraine has, you know, Ukraine has like, you know, obviously they're significantly bigger than that, but also like they have established their own. They've in the last thirty years they've established their own industries and identity that really have separated them from from Russia. So like, they have no interest in being reacquired, essentially right. by by you know by Putin. Like it's. It would be a sort of crushing defeat to something that they've been fighting for, obviously, the last 30 years, but realistically as like an ethnic identity for the past like 300 years. Yeah, dude. Like, yeah, that's a really fucking good point. I mean, we've had people that have identified as Ukrainians like Tiffany Priest. I met her in the second grade and stuff. And like she was, you know, made sure that everybody knew about her Ukrainian ancestry and everything. So like this is definitely a country with its own identity, even people that I know that have relatives and everything that are that are over there and people that have Ukraine ancestry that I've met out here. Like, you know, it is definitely its own freaking thing. Like they have their own cultural identity over there. And if you have your own cultural identity, why would you ever want to like submit to somebody else? Like, mm-hmm. You know, you are, they're their own people over there and have been for a while. And it's, it's not like they're fresh off of their own independence. They've had time to grow and evolve as, as a country and everything. So yeah, I, I wouldn't want to submit to, I wouldn't want the, Putin to try to take me back either. It's going to mean hell for those fucking people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's, this kind of actually segues, segues us to our next question. I'll get into something here real quick. And it's, you know, did you learn anything about Ukrainian politics? And it, it is sort of that for me that like the tendrils, the tendrils of Russian influence are still all over the Ukraine. I mean, Obviously, yeah. like the the idea of this like sort of inherent corruption that that goes back to prior to you know prior to the Ukraine becoming its own independent nation, um, you know you even get like when we meet the outgoing president in the show, he even talks about how uh, you know everyone in the show speaks Russian. By the way, like it's there is a Ukrainian language, but everyone speaks Russian, and mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a moment in the show when we're talking when the, the outgoing president's having his meltdown, and Yuri Ivanovich is talking to him. He even mentions that, like, I bothered to learn this gibberish language talking about Ukrainian because he yeah. thought it would help him, you know, help him win another election. And like that's sort of that's one of those things that like probably, you, you know, for over there, something they probably probably deal with quite a bit. And that's something that really stood out to me, though. I'm like, oh, right. Like they there are still people that are very clearly drawing a line between what is Ukraine and what is Russian and like what that actually means. Because mm-hmm. they're only they are only thirty years removed from separating themselves from Russia, right? That's right. Like that, you know, we as America, we're two hundred years or so from from Britain and everything like that. Like those people over there, they are thirty years. I mean, like you and I are both older than, than that than and Ukraine, everything. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? And like even as us in our our thirties, like we're still like in this process of like finding ourselves. I think it's something that we'll probably be doing our entire life. So, you you know, like with, um, with these people over there in the Ukraine, like it's something that this idea of them being an own nation is still fairly new. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we, we always talk about that, how like 
you know, um, American democracy is like an ongoing kind of experiment. It's uh, very much still a very early experiment in a country like Ukraine. Like where, oh, where again, yeah. we are, we're cracking jokes about how the oligarchs are still there in the Ukraine influencing things. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the thing, the thing that I had down about this Ukrainian politics is that it's basically just like Russian politics, you mm -hmm. know, like every, everything that, and I don't know that much about it, like that I've assumed or learned about Russian politics, we are seeing right here and there, like everything is all the rich people, the poor people just like have nothing. Like the government doesn't seem to give a shit about doing anything for these people whatsoever, except for the, you know, the one guy who is our main character and everything. Mm -hmm. And it is just, it is just like sucking the lifeblood out of these people and any opportunity that they can, whether it's information suppression or this, like the pseudo democracy thing, which I, I don't know the, technically how the specifics of it's like, do they, they go to the voting booth? There's only one name on the ballot. I, I, I don't necessarily know how something like that would work, mm. but um, you know, whatever is going on there is still stuff that's been present in Russia pretty much ever since I, I ever since I've been able to like know about Russia. Right, right, exactly. But you know, and it just one of those things that makes you wonder how long does it take for this process to sort of, you know, to, for you to get to a point for a country to get to a point where they are quote unquote independent and free, um, you know, from their, their former uh, colonial influences. Like I, I have to imagine this is something we never covered in, in school. I have to imagine at the conclusion of the revolutionary war. Well, I know uh, the British didn't just fucking leave. Like, they didn't just like like okay well we're all gonna go now see you guys later i believe right. we fought another war um in 1812 um mm -hmm. about this garbage so like you know th and that was that would have been what 35 years later 40 years later um right. you know post conclusion of the revolutionary war so i have to imagine it takes quite a while for countries to throw off the colonial shackles oh yeah and like it once and you have to ask like once they do have this like a moment of awakening what happens there? Are we talking like revolutions all over, like revolutionary wars all over mm -hmm. the place in, in these countries? Like it's um, I, I guess that that seems to be like the only thing that happens. So, I mean, it, you're right. It is just a matter of time. And the, the colonies got pushed around for God knows how long until they decided to do something mm -hmm. about it. And and they did. It's yeah. happened in France. It's happened all over the place. So, yeah, yeah I mean, there's only so there's only so far you could push like the people before something happens. It's just a matter of mm -hmm. how long it takes for them to wake up. So final question here with regards to Zelensky, the leader, um, how has the war and, and what you know about Zelensky, you know, obviously we, this is how we were introduced to him, basically this war. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe if you're really paying a lot of attention, you know, Trump's beautiful, beautiful phone call. Um, but you know, Zelensky really gets introduced to the world stage because of this war. So how has that shaded your viewing of this show, if at all? Okay. So like the, the one thing for me is since we have been like, I will tell you like the, the Trump phone calls Zelensky and war Zelensky are like two completely different Zelensky's and this war Zelensky has basically trumped the, the Trump version of Zelensky from the phone call and everything. Mm -hmm. So like I view him as like this, the guy's a fucking badass. You know what I'm saying? And like, I don't care. Like I'm, I'm assuming 
some of these videos that we might see, you know, there's definitely some production value there with him, like walking in the streets of Ukraine, looking tough and everything that's done oh, intentionally. It, you you know? got to have, if you're in a war, but, but you, you got to have propaganda. You, you, yeah, you have to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So like what I know of him is this total fucking badass. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is like what Bill Wheeler, like, you know, this is like Bill Wheeler thriving to be, you know, I just, what I'm seeing here is like Wheeler just at wartime and stuff. So when he's like the, the kind of like the young, naive, non-bearded, non-grizzled Zelensky in a way, in a way it's distracting just because I'm all in on the, the, the badass yeah. Zelensky, mm-hmm. you know, and like I am able as a semi-educated entertainment participant to, to, to do some separation there. But like, there are times where just like I look at the character and especially during that, like that fantasy rant in episode five, where like, you know, he's, he's yelling at everybody and it just turns out that he's just standing there thinking the entire time. Mm-hmm. I see wartime Zelensky actually making that speech and stuff. So yeah. there's a little bit of a disconnect, but, it, but it's not horrible. Like a, um, a, a super popular star in a cameo appearance on like Tacoma FD would be more of a distraction. Yes. Like if they all of a sudden, if Brad Pitt showed up on Tacoma FD, it would be like a, distra- a yeah. distraction. But this is, is not that there's some of the distraction element in there, but it's, but it's not entirely there. I, yes, I, I had the exact same thing down that there was a little bit of, a little bit of like where I'm like, Oh, well, why doesn't, you know, like when he, he's kind of being a little bit meek at first. Um, you know, when he first is like meeting Yuri Ivanovich and I'm kind of like, oh, why doesn't he like, I don't know, just like go into Zelensky mode. Like, like, I'm like, oh, right. Because that's not the, like, he's not there yet. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the character arc hasn't gone, we haven't even started the arc yet. We, we still know kind of the, the, um, the, the low key school teacher at this point. And there were, were some moments of disconnect and there were a couple of moments where I don't want to say like the humor was sapped out of it, but like the the joke didn't quite land simply because i'm thinking of like we're, we're it, i'm thinking of one scene in particular again where he meets it's the extended scene where he's meeting all of his advisors cabinet members department mm-hmm. heads and then he goes right into the and then it goes right into all of like the house assistants and those people so on and so forth and it's kind of like you know there's just this moment where i'm like oh yeah i mean i know he's making fun of all this but Boy, wouldn't he like to have all those people right now? Right, right. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't be living in a bunker with like four other dudes. Right. No, that's that is true. Yeah, you got that shit. So, right. I, yeah. So I don't want to say like it was like it was like I was just like you, you know wasn't like the humor was sapped out of it necessarily, but there were some there there were some things that just brought up like a little bit of a reality check. Oh yeah, dude. And like I gotta tell you, like even when you look at the shot of kiev the 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 downtown mm-hmm. shot like the, the, the there's like these these buildings i'm assuming that they're government buildings and there's like this little like roundabout circle type thing with mm-hmm. like a, a kind of a structure statue obelisk type thing in the center of it even looking at that on the show it just has a completely different meaning just knowing because we've seen this shot from all this footage of ukraine and everything right. like it's it's like I, I don't necessarily want it's it's not bittersweet in any way, shape or form, but there is some kind of cloud that looms over the footage in the show. It's almost because, like, we know what's going to happen there. Yeah, uh, just I, I just I was just thinking about this today, like, I, I, you know, was uh, at, at work watching a watching a, a video um, 
you know, of of that not the same shot, but a similar shot that you get in the opening of the of whatever that square is called in Kiev. And like, yep, now there are tanks in it. And it's just like it's just kind of like yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what it looks like when it's just uh, a normal day. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's like it's almost like when you know how something's going to end and you go back to watch the first couple of episodes on it. It's it, there's this, there's just something completely different about it. And since it's this imagery of war and tanks and shit that just shouldn't be in the town square, it's like extra fucking powerful. You know, mm-hmm. top that off with the actual situation itself. It makes it more powerful. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's wrap this episode up here with just a couple of quick recommendations, and then we'll get to our final thoughts after that. Um, so, quick foreign TV recommendations. If you can give me two English ones and two non-English ones, that'd be fantastic. Okay, so English-wise, I actually watched an episode of this show yesterday. It was way better than I thought it was going to be. Norseman, which is on Netflix, it's a half-hour-long Viking comedy. And the, the Viking, like the kind of Viking, like the literal, I mean, when I say Vikings, like the Vikings parody show. Uh, yes, that's right. Yes. Okay. This would be, yeah, 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 yeah. It's on Netflix. Yeah. It starts off, it opens up with these people, um, getting like convinced to like jump off a cliff making like the ultimate sacrifice to Valhalla and everything. And then somebody just dies. And then they're just like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. All this other stuff. It was pretty good. So like, I got to say like with my, um, with my little spark for a Viking history that I got from watching, um, the Northmen, I got a little bit of entertainment out of this show, okay. um, Norseman, that is on Netflix. The other show that is English speaking is one that um, I have been watching for, I guess, been a year, been a couple of years now. Um, Summer Heights High. It was a show that was on HBO. It's off, it's off now, but I somehow kind of stumble upon watching a rerun of the show just, you know, randomly. Mm-hmm. Whatever. This guy, Chris Lilly. Um, he's a comedian. He's one of these, it's like one of these Tracy Allman type shows where the main character plays like a bunch of different uh, characters gotcha. and everything like that on the show. And it takes place at a high school in Australia there. You follow the lives of like three or four different kids, all of which he plays. It's pretty fucking funny. I, there's just it, some like really unique uses of American references and everything. Plus the, uh, the kids are that he plays. I just think are, are absolutely fucking hysterical for sure. So, I'm, I'm scrolling through some pictures right now of Chris Lilly as these kids and it's fucking yeah. funny. Yeah. The guy just looks like a fucking, um, a kid that would, would be in like, a. It, it's just amazing how well he transitions into a, um, into that, uh, role and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's almost like the guy could easily, I could, he easily could be like a young kid in, school and i would never even know the difference because he just looks so like fucking young to me and everything like that mm-hmm. the, the non um english shows uh for starters this is going to be my next one it is kingdom there you go. kingdom looks absolutely fucking amazing i watched a little bit of the first episode i haven't dabbled too much into it got some other shows i'm trying to get through and watch but kingdom definitely looks amazing this is one hellifiedly unique awesome take on the um on the zombie genre and everything like that it's like i almost feel like just like how predator and this new prey like you have to just take something and kick it back in history and everything 
Prey worked really, really well. It was Prey amazing. Was awesome. I, I, Prey I was awesome. Loved, I loved the shit out of it. And um, Kingdom looks like they are doing the exact same thing with their um, with their show and stuff like this. It's like a brand new take on the um, on the, the zombie zombie genre and everything. Yes. And then the last show that um, I'm going to mention is a show called Hellbound that is also um, from Korea. This is on Netflix. It's a dark fantasy streaming television series directed by Young Sang Ho. And it's based on his own webtoon of the same name. And Netflix is like supernatural beings appearing out of nowhere, condemning people to hell. This is another one that I'm going to um, get to eventually, probably right after Kingdom and stuff. Very, very unique premise. Trailer looked fucking awesome. So this is one that I'm going to be checking out, too. Very nice. Very nice. Like I said, Korea is having a moment. Korea is having a moment right now. Um, Are you going to watch? Did you watch Kingdom with subtitles or dubbed? Out of curiosity, I'm going like the subtitle oh, route good, on, good. on this one. Yeah, you bet. It's I, the dubbing stuff. Like I get it; it makes it a little bit easier and everything. But I'm pretty much doing the the, the subtitles, and that, that's kind of like the way to do it for me. If you're if you're going to watch it, you might as well do it with the subtitles. Yeah. and I I watch TV with closed captioning on anyway, so it, it's really not that big of a, a change for me oh, to, okay. to read and watch at the same time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, it, I, I, the first time I watched it, I watched it dubbed, and it was totally fine. But, and and actually, a couple of the actors do their own vo- do their own American voices. Um, oh, okay. Which does help. Um, uh, in particular, Bay Duna, who you who you would know. Um, she like plays the nurse in Kingdom, and mm-hmm. you would know her. She's one of the Wachowskis' favorites. She's been in a ton of American stuff. Um, gotcha. You'll you'll recognize her. But um, a couple of the actors do their own voices, which helps. But like there's when we like the where the where the dubbing always falls flat is when you get like some more exaggerated yelling and stuff. It just mm-hmm. never it just never matches up and it's kind of weird. Um, upon second viewing with with subtitles, the sound works so much better. Like uh, yeah. so much better. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of the like the voice element of it, you know what I'm saying? Just the words don't match up with the mouth and stuff. And like, honestly, like the first thing I think of every single time is like when you watch a, uh, a movie on TNT or TBS and it's edited and stuff. And like, all of a sudden, you know, it's like in, in tremors and it's like, Hey, broke in the goddamn gall darn rec room. Didn't you, you big jerk? Like, yes. just like that. It, it's yeah. just off, you, yeah. you know? <laughs> Yeah, so if it's one of those things, like I, I would, if you, if anyone out there has problems with the subtitles, watch it once dubbed, and then watch it, watch whatever you're watching again subtitled, so you kind of already have the context of what's going on, and it, the experience is much better. It's just much better. Oh yeah. All right, good, excellent choices. Um, I'm also going to start off with an Australian show that I mentioned briefly um, before. I can't remember when, but uh, Firebite. Mm-hmm. Um, rural indigenous Australians versus versus English vampires living underground. Um, it's absurd. I, I think I called it shaggy. Like it's got some rough edges, but those rough edges kind of work in its favor, if that makes any sense. Um, it just makes it feel even more. Yeah. It, you know, the idea is that we're talking about some extremely poor um, Austra- uh, indigenous Australians, and so like the the rough edges of the show almost make it feel more realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's like a lot of you know, there's a there's definitely like a whole class um, warfare issue going on here too, with the 
it just it's weird like i never really thought about this before but like indigenous australians call themselves black people i mean they are extremely dark-skinned um the the two leads especially um i can't remember uh shante barnes cohen plays this girl whose name i'm already fucking forgetting she she is extremely dark-skinned like she looks mm-hmm. like a how you and i think of a black person that's how she looks um but she's australian so like it's there is this whole class um issue here with not surprisingly all the vampires for the most part are white people um and they're english white people at that you know bringing in the colonization stuff um which actually is a part of the is actually a part of the story that you get like in the first episode um mm-hmm. but it's a it's a fun shaggy story that it's an interesting a nice interesting sort of a way to tell a vampire story basically yeah of course definitely and that's it was on like amc plus or something like that yes. right is that how you saw it okay. yeah correct yeah which I tra- means I tried... at some point in time in the near future it'll be on amc yeah, yeah. I, I tried watching it. I tried looking for it on like the streaming services that I have, and I it wasn't on any of the five that I have. Right, right. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting that I'm paying for AMC. I mean, it's only like eight bucks, but I keep forgetting that I'm paying for it. And it, it, I, every now and then, when I look at my bank statement, I'm like, oh, right. I should yeah. <laughs> I should make make a point to like watch something on there if I'm fucking paying for it. But anyway, um, so Firebite from Australia. This is a show that I have been meaning to watch literally for years. Um, and I'm, I'm going to do it now since we're, since obviously we're talking about it. Um, and it's the number one ladies detective agency, um, takes place in Botswana about a private detective, private investigator solving mostly silly, but sometimes serious crimes. Um, Jill Scott's the lead, obviously Jill Scott's an American, but, um, and there's a lot of British actors with African backgrounds in it as well, but it, it is definitely filmed in Africa and takes place in Botswana. And it's, one of those shows that like it it popped on HBO. I want to say like two thousand seven or eight. It popped up, um, and for whatever reason, it just sort of missed um, its window. I feel like if this show were were to come out this year, especially with the way HBO is is doubling down on telling more um, African American stories, that this would be a hit if it was released now. Yeah, no, dude, I know what you mean. Like I've heard of this show and stuff, and it would be it would. At that point in time, when it gets released, it's just going to get lost in the shuffle. And if it was in the uh, in the aughts and everything like that, that would have gotten lost to like True Blood, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like when HBO is having this um, post Renaissance Sopranos kind of thing, you know, where they're trying to figure out like the next step in their programming. Yeah. And this today would would just be infinitely bigger and stuff because mm-hmm. I know that they're really pushing for like more diverse shows yep. and um, creators and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it's one I'm definitely going to check out. I've been meaning to do it. So there's there's sort of the guarantee I'm going to do it. Um, mm-hmm. As far as non-English so- shows go, two uh, two Spanish language shows I'm going to get to, and for different reasons. First one is it's also um, an HBO it's an HBO Max show, and I think its second season is coming out soon. It's Los Espookies. Um It's a it's mostly Spanish. It's probably ninety percent Spanish, and then there's ten percent English to it. Part of it takes place in Los Angeles. Um, but, um, it's about, it's this very, very surrealist comedy about a team of misfits who provide horror movie services to clients. And (laughs) it sounds stupid, but like it, it it is stupid, but like, it just, it just fucking works. This show is very, very funny. Um, it is so fucking absurd. There's a, there's a member of the team who always has like some bizarre job. Like she's breaking in shoes for businessmen before, like they, before she hands them over. She turns the um, the second hand on a clock tower in the middle of a town square. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's her job. 
and yeah. there uh it's got some really smart people behind it uh fred armanson is involved in it um the uh, julio torres he's a salvadorian comedian writer who was actually wrote for snl for several years um is like the sort of one of the lead writers on it one of the cast members it is very very funny it is mm-hmm. ludicrous but like you buy into the ludicrousness of it, of it like right away it's so fucking good yeah that sounds really interesting like what a just kind of a cool focal point of the story and stuff yeah um the next one the next one is one that i i gotta it has to be online somewhere i'm sure it is it's called metastasis have you heard of this i haven't metastasis is the shot for shot breaking bad knockoff from columbia oh god no shit (laughs) if you if you google metastasis tv show go go ahead and do that right now metastasis tv show and tell me what you see Stasis show. Okay, give me one. Oh, okay. So we're looking at um, writing the font that is the exact same as Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. It even has the um, the periodic table kind mm-hmm. of letters and stuff like that. The the blocks and everything. It features a guy with a a mustache and hair that looks very similar to Brian Cranston's in the first uh, a couple seasons of Breaking Bad before he shaves his head, and also a guy who is. Not as good looking as Aaron Paul, also wearing a gas mask and apron and kind of a, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like the white stoner kind of get up and everything like that as a shirt. That's what I'm seeing on the poster here. And oh, my God, here we go. As we continue to scroll through some of these photos, we got um, twin uh, hitmen type characters. (laughs) We got... uh, Oh my God. We even have like this little side by side of Walter White and Walter Blanco and stuff. Yeah. The, 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 the main character is Walter poses. Blanco, which means Walter yeah. White. That's right. And we got another like, uh, oh my God, Jesus Christ. We got um, Celio Blanco, Sandra Ray. We got like just the characters and everything look very, very similar to uh, Breaking Bad. And Jesus fucking Christ. There's even a, a thing of him and Heisenberg holding a gun and everything. Like, wow. He's got the, the hat and the jacket mm-hmm. and everything. Wow. It's nuts. Um, it's it's one of those things. I, I'm guessing they just must be out of out of reach for AMC's lawyers, basically, because I, I don't know how you could get away with this otherwise. But it literally is shot for shot, same story. There's obviously some like cultural differences and you know, small differences they have to make for the show. But mm-hmm. it is the exact same show, um, just in Spanish and Colombia-based. Which I, I which poses the question, because this is like one of the most popular shows in Colombia. Um, yeah. Which poses the question, if you're one of the people involved in this, would you feel good about doing it, even if, even if it was super popular? Man, that is like one of those questions for the ages. Because part of me wants to say when you're rolling in bank and everything like that and in the entertainment industry doing something you love there's going to be like some sense of satisfaction that you're getting out of it but at the same time you you didn't really like create anything you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. which i i feel has to be a large part of the satisfaction that one would get out of working in a creative based industry so like you may it's like you may be going to the expensive restaurants, but it's not like you're looking up from the table, shaking hands and being excited to meet people. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very bizarre kind of thing. And I'm, I'm sure this is, I'm sure there are more shows like this 
you know, depending on the country. I'm sure there are more shows like this, but this was just one of those like super egregious ones that we needed to talk about for like at least a minute or two. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, they have, there's a fucking lot of episodes of the show too. I mean, there are five seasons, like according to Wikipedia, we have five seasons. The first uh, season has got seven episodes. Then we're at 13, 13, 13 and 16, which are crazy. And they all, somehow seem to air in 2014 which is just even more amazing to me yeah they yeah i know it's uh (laughs) it's a it's just a very bizarre i I would i would love to sort of that's one of those that's one of those entertainment documentaries i would actually watch if yeah (laughs) maybe not even specifically about i mean obviously about this show but like to see how many more we talked about a few of them before like the the mockbusters and stuff I would yeah. I would love to have like a documentary about like the how close how close you can get before you will just get your fucking pantsuit off you. Um, and obviously this show crosses that crossed that line way many miles ago. Yeah, I'm kind of wondering exactly what specifics are outside of the legal grounds here that there's that to me is now that I know about this, like there's the legal stuff sometimes I find to be extremely intriguing. And um, I kind of want to know the specifics of why this hasn't gotten the pantsuit off of them yet. Cause it's, it's won awards. I mean, the, the lead actor, it looks like he took home one of the Colombian Emmys or something mm-hmm. like that. So there's got it. There just has to be something here to, uh, to as far as the legal side of this, that is incredibly intriguing. I just don't know what it is. I, the, the literally the only guess I have is that this like is only being distributed, you know, through like in terms of like being distributed through actual channels, you know, mm-hmm. video and, and their, you know, their television, it, it must only be like distributed in Colombia. Yeah, that that might be enough to like because I'm assuming the the reason that somebody would sue a, a company for making a show like this is to prevent them from making money here in the states, right? So if this is just a Colombian thing, like I, I I'm assuming that if this even if this is a Colombian thing, there might be some way for AMC to pull money out of it. But it might not be like it might be one of these situations for the amount of money that they have to pay to like hire the the attorneys and go through all the courts and deal with the back and forth. They might not actually be profiting from that. Mm, It might actually be one of those decisions that cost them money. So because that would be the only thing. It has to be something like that, because like knowing what I know about the legal industry from the entertainment perspective they're going to try to suck up money anywhere that they can. And, and people involved in it are going to be doing the exact same thing too. Like the directors, the writers, producers, mm-hmm. all that stuff. It's not just the network. So they have, it has to be something like that because if they were able to make money off of a lawsuit from this, they would, because why would you, right. why would you not do anything that you couldn't make money off mm-hmm. of? So it has, there has to be something like, it's just whatever they're going to pull from them is, is nothing of yeah. significance. Yeah. Yeah, I gotcha. All right. Uh, any final thoughts here as we wrap up Beyond Borders month? I do not. Other than just I just I enjoyed everything. It was great to broaden the horizons a little bit with uh, watching some non-American content and listening to some non-American music. And I think that this whole thing worked out really well. I think so, too. And what I was really impressed with 
Um, what I what I impressed with both of us, we both deserve um, we both deserve a pat in the back for this. We really spread our interest quite far. Um, oh, other yeah. than obviously, you know, we did the Kawhi metal, you know, the singular discussion of Kawhi metal, which I think worked out better anyway. There wasn't really like one area of focus. You know what right. I mean? Like we didn't just talk about Korean horror movies or whatever. Like mm-hmm. we really spread this out really, really well. And just goes to show you that like if you are bored with the procedurals, there is something to watch. Yeah. Guarantee <laughs> right. there's something better to watch from a different country. You might have to watch it subtitled, or if you can't do that, you might have to watch it dubbed. But there's something out there. Yeah, exactly. Like there's content out there. You don't have to worry about watching the same shit on Netflix and Amazon over and over again. You have a lot of room to do different things. Absolutely. All right, you want to lead us out of here? I definitely will, dude. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning into this installment of The Occasionalist as we round out our Beyond Borders month. This is Adam Chemilewski and Matthew Pagel. We are The Occasionalists, and we wish you the best. We'll also see you next time. Thank you.